For more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. Good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Manitoba. For all those joining us live this morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms, we say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. With Dave Manouk, I'm your host, Drew Mindell, feeling footloose and fancy free on this Saturday morning as the two of us will spend the next couple of hours with all of you, our good friends, talking about the Winnipeg Jets, everything to do with what has been an actually relative busy week for the Jets in terms of getting some work done. I don't know about you, Dave. I'm, I'm the the air seems lighter. It seems like I'm just more energetic. There's something brighter about the show on this Saturday morning, and I just can't quite my put my finger onto it as to what that is. It must be that we're wearing the same shirt that we've managed to sort of color coordinate for the show. That's got to be it. I can't figure out for the life of me what else it could possibly be. Yeah, no, that's a fair point, Drew. I mean, it could be the fact that the we are absent the the almost birthday boy. Big yeah. uh, early happy birthday, Dez, who's celebrating his birthday on Monday, and he's getting things started out at the lake. We assume uh, today, so uh, happy early birthday, Dez. We, we don't really care where he is. We just know he's not here. That's that's he's, basically what it boils down to. But yes, yeah, he, um, he's in parts unknown. Yeah, we'll wish him a happy birthday, and that'll be the last we speak of him on this morning's program. we got a great show in store for you. Coming up in the bottom of hour number one, Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press is going to join us. Jeff is always honest. He's always truthful. He's always well-spoken. We look forward to welcoming Jeff. Unlike us. Unlike us, unlike us, we're just a bunch of rubes who, you know, who somehow uh, managed to luck into this uh, this operation that we're doing. Uh, so Jeff will join us in the bottom of the hour. And then coming up in hour number two, Dave and I had the opportunity yesterday afternoon to sit down, virtually of course, to sit down with Vlad Nemesnikov, who of course signed a two-year contract with the Winnipeg Jets on free agency day. So we look forward to to have, uh, we'll, we'll air that conversation. It was a really great uh, conversation uh, between us and Vlad Nemesnikov, talk about his thoughts about re-signing with the Jets, what he has in store for next year and what he thinks about the team moving forward. So you can look forward to that coming up in about 90 minutes time on this Saturday morning edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We start, of course, though, with the news of the week with guarding the Winnipeg Jets, and that was the team, as we both sort of expected, Dave, the team avoiding salary arbitration with both Gabe Velarde and Morgan Barron, getting both of those young players under contract for the next couple of years. Gabe Velarde, a two-year deal. $3.4 $3.4 million per season, a very reasonable salary cap hit of $3.4 million a year. Uh, that's for the next two seasons for Velarde, recently acquired from the LA Kings. And Morgan Barron, who, of course, uh, somebody I saw on Twitter said his contract should have ended in a 7 and a 5, indicative yeah. of the number of stitches he got in his face for the Winnipeg Jets or as a member of the Winnipeg Jets during the playoff series. He gets a two-year $1.4 million deal uh, with the Jets, uh, avoiding salary arbitration as well. So you can see the list of things that uh, the Jets need to take care of before the offseason can truly begin is quickly dwindling. Of course, that puts aside anything to do with a trade 
be it the, the defense, Shifley, Hellebuck. But Dave, I guess your first thoughts on the contracts for Velarde and the contract for Barron. Yeah, I mean, I think they both came in exactly where we thought they would, which is, I mean, that's what we said. We said on this show last week, right, Drew? We, we expected mm-hmm. it to be in that 3.4 to 3.6 range, and and it came obviously in between that. So, I, I mean, I think the contracts are fair. I think I, I didn't think there was any question. I already put that comment up, Drew. Sorry. But, uh, um, and that one also. Drew, okay, pay sorry, attention. Holy moly. Drew's not paying attention, I, I, was, I was in my just, soliloquy. Just, I wasn't well, focused. Go, you can use Craig and Andrews. I haven't posted those if you'd like okay. to post those, Drew. Anywho, the point I was making before Drew rudely interrupted me with repeat uh, comments. Yeah, the comments that, for the podcast people are just everyone saying good morning because we're a nice yes. friendly show. Good yes. morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Yes, exactly. Good morning to everyone here who's listening to us this, on this beautiful Saturday here in Winnipeg and wherever you are joining us, including San Diego for Dallas. Now, as I was saying, in terms of these contracts, I mean, I didn't think it was going to be any other way, really. I mean, I wrote about it in the papers this morning. How many contracts have the Jets signed in terms of a long-term deal for a player that's, you know, really, it's an RFA? Yeah. Three. Mark Shifley, Nikolai Ehlers, Cal Connor. Three and those are all sure things. <laughs> sure things. And also, I mean, the Mark Shifley one was a bit of a, of a not, not certainty, but I mean, again, it was in, in retrospect, it's a hell of a good contract, mm-hmm. but the point is it's not something, it's not the Jets MO. It's not the way the Jets operate. Now you can say, well, you can always change. You, people can get worried that, you know, this could turn into a Pierre Luc Dubois situation, but there made, it made no sense. It made no sense. Why let's talk about Gabe Velarde specifically. Mm-hmm. Why Gabe Velarde is going to sign in with an organization long-term. Sure. He get years but i mean first of all he's betting on himself and that's there's there's an inherent risk of course if you have injuries or anything like that but he's he's choosing to bet on himself and more importantly he doesn't know the organization he's heard probably a lot of rumblings that have been you know spoken about in the media about the uncertainty in the environment and of course that's what's happening with connor hellebuck and mark shifley so I would imagine that gabe velarde said okay well let's do two years remember i know I, i'm seeing it out there for some reason people think He'll only have a one year to UFA after that. It's two years. I know, but I read an article today where it said he would it would walk him to only be one year away from being a UFA. I'm like, well, it's not accurate. So, you know, it's it's not factual, not based in fact. He would have the Jets would have two year more years of team control. And so the fact is that really you're gonna know after two years if you want to consummate a long-term relationship. They're not gonna be like, okay, we'll sign a one-year deal with Gabe Velarde after two years time they're gonna know and they're gonna be able to say we want to commit to you long term or if they don't then maybe they do sign that one-year deal and they look to to deal them well and the truth is you can sign like you know if you know let's say after this year he continues to uh you know proceed on the upward trajectory that the team hopes that he's going on and that he's mm-hmm. cer- certainly indicated as such last year with his play in los angeles well there's no reason why you, you can sign him to a contract extension a year before his contract is up so right. it's not the you know and i understand the the jitteriness i do because you've seen it play itself out here in winnipeg multiple different times where guys who sign a short-term bridge and then you know quickly depart the city we saw it with dubois that's what led to velarde being here you saw it to some extent with jacob truba i mean you know that you know at a point in time you know a two-year contract can you'll be an indicator that it's going to be a, a, a quick departure for that player from Winnipeg, but that's not necessarily the case here. I don't think that you can press that panic button uh, because he signed this two-year deal. Again, th- this is what you would expect. There's no reason for any either side 
to think that there's a longer-term deal potentially here. There's no reason for Gabe Velarde to want to sign a seven-year deal with an organization he doesn't know of because he keeps thinking he's going to keep improving, and the Jets aren't going to want to sign him to a seven-year deal because they don't know exactly where he's going as a player just yet. So and from both just sides a quick And just a quick interjection on that idea of the two years. Remember, the salary cap is supposed to go up. Sure. So if 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 he continues to progress and if he becomes a 30 to 40 goal scorer and however many assists and he's and he's consistently producing, mm-hmm. well, his number, if the cal- salary cap goes up by, you know, five, six, seven million dollars can become a much bigger number than when it's at eighty two million dollars. So I just think from Gabe Velarde's perspective, it makes a lot of sense. From the Winnipeg Jets perspective, it makes a lot of sense. You know, your team is somewhat in flux, but you've got a guy who you're gonna try and grow with this group and and try and compete with this group and if you look at the overall depth of this team and it's one of the things we talked about yesterday with Vlad Nemestikov mm-hmm. the team is a deeper team now you've lost Blake Wheeler you know and, and again we thought Blake Wheeler's usage was not Blake Wheeler's ability well yeah. I mean we thought his ability had come down a little bit but you know his usage should have been should have reflected that we thought that's our opinion we're not the coaches we just are pundits but and you've lost Pierre-Luc Dubois so you have lost some talent but I mean again defensively I think you're not necessarily you're going to be a better team, and that's what the Jets needed to be was a better yeah. team. You can't outscore your problems, and that's what mm-hmm. the Jets oftentimes tried to do. And you do. I, I again, I wonder what kind of impact this would have on Mark Shifley's game. You know, if if he's playing with more defensively responsible teammates, does that make him a little bit more defensively responsible? You know, Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, and Pierre Luc Dubois might be the ultimate nightmare in terms of defensive. Res- you may as well just leave those guys above the red line <laughs> at that point. So. We'll see well, what happens this upcoming year in that regard and 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 the terms of the depth. But again, getting back to this uh, Velarde contract, yeah. it absolutely made sense. And it was to me, it was a no-brainer. It didn't need to make arbitration. I mean, you see what you, – you hear so many horror stories. And I know Andrew Kopp obviously didn't appreciate going through arbitration with the Jets, and that left a little bit of a, a bad taste in his mouth. And it sounds like every player – I mean, whether it's former players like Jeff O'Neill talking about, you know, the Samsonov one in Toronto – where they went to arbitration, I think two days ago. Yeah, uh, it's it just it's it's not a good look. So they avoid that with Morgan Barron, who we think again another guy who signs a short term deal, mm-hmm. but it makes sense because you want to see what he's going to be able to do consistently at the NHL level. You think you can find a role for him, and again, perhaps create if he's on the fourth line because of this added depth. I mean, a line of Barron, Gustafson, and Kupari, for example. Maybe yeah. there's some. Maybe there's something there. Maybe you create a fourth line with a little bit of. A little defensive, res- defensively responsible, can occasionally put the puck in the net. I saw one of those. I don't remember. Was it Jay Fresh who put the most five on five, the most creating the most chances behind the net? And David Gustafson was like top ten in the NHL. I know people are gonna pish paw that because he didn't score any goals, but he's also passing to black holes like Saku Manalainen and guys who just couldn't finish. So while he himself didn't shoot a ton, uh, I do wonder what you know he will look like if he does get to that center role where he's comfortable playing with those guys and creating a bit of an identity with Morgan Barron. Again, a guy who's going to be looking to grow his game. And, and that kind of contract makes a lot of sense to me as well, given the fact that, you know, he's a young, young ish guy and everybody, as we said to Vlad Nemestikov drew yesterday, everybody's young when we <laughs> when we're talking about them, but, but he's a younger guy in the NHL. And, and I think, you know, he's in a prove me sort of, here's your opportunity. Now you've got a two years to really establish yourself. Kind of like what Mason Appleton uh, tried to do and give yourself an opportunity to establish yourself as an everyday NHL. 
Yeah, you know, that's really the story, I think, of the Jets offseason is, is the focus on defensive responsibility, at least certainly I would say in the bottom of the lineup, not even the bottom of the lineup, everywhere but Shifley, Connor, and, and, and Ehlers, let's say. Those are the guys, Shifley and Connors. I won't even include Ehlers necessarily because Shifley and Connor are the guys who, you know, are still off offense first and foremost, but the rest of the lineup, has certainly, you can see the emphasis that the organization has put on defensive responsibility in trying to build from that end out. And that'll be sort of a fascinating storyline to watch as the season unfolds. And uh, we're going to talk about it later on in today's show, but there's a wide ver uh, disparity, particularly in the analytics community, about oh, yes. how the Jets are going to project for next season. And it's something that I think is a, is a really interesting conversation. We'll probably touch on it more in the 10 o'clock hour. But you can see that, uh, you know, some of the, depending on which model you subscribe to in analytics, some say the Jets are one of the, uh, are going to be a, a, an impressive team. Others say that the Jets are going to be more of a bottom feeding team. So there is a huge gulf, a huge gap in the projections for the Winnipeg Jets next season. We'll dig into that a little bit uh, more throughout the course of, of today's program. But, you know, going back to the contracts themselves, they're just logical on both sides of things. I mean, Velarde thinks he's got more to prove. Morgan Barron certainly thinks that he's got more to prove, especially offensively, because we know that Morgan Barron is, you know, certainly one of the Jets, uh, is, is one of the better penalty killers. And so does he have more of that, untapped finishing that would be the question i think for morgan Barron moving forward is is there more of an offensive upside to his game playing with maybe more offensively and kind you know inclined players or just having a jets team that is more that that, that has better depth and is and, and is more well-rounded than some of the as you referred to it sort of the black holes on offense that we saw uh oftentimes last year does that by, by virtue of playing with some better uh, offensive players, but at the same time defensively responsible, does, mm -hmm. that, uh, does that change the fortunes for some of these guys and maybe tap into some more of that offensive potential? That's what Morgan Barron is certainly banking on over the next couple of years. I mean, $1.4 million a year is never going to hurt anybody. It's a good deal. You're not going to blink an eye at that. But yep. Morgan Barron is probably saying, look, I think I'm going to be playing with better players next year. Not that he's going to be playing, you know, with Shifley and Connor. He's not going to be playing at that level in the lineup, but he's going to be playing with guys who have a little bit more offensive talent is what he would hope. And as a result, he's going to say, hey, maybe some of those chances, maybe some of those opportunities, you know, where he creates a lot of, you know, he's known, again, I'm reading off of the J Fresh player cards. Uh, he's a great follow on Twitter. If you if you don't follow him, J Fresh Hockey really breaks it down very uh, in an easy to consume manner. Uh, he says Morgan Barron is a two way winger and penalty killer who creates a lot of rebound chances in tight, but struggles to finish them. So maybe is there you know does that struggles to finish them part does that change? Play? He's getting skates to the phase, Drew. What do you That's want hard. from the guy? <laughs> it is hard to finish. Uh, it is hard to um, put the puck in the net when you're worried about getting your eye off of a skate blade. That's uh, certainly the case, uh, as we all remember from the playoffs. But it'll be interesting. I mean, you can see the you can see these contracts and you know the upside that both players are, are banking on. And frankly, if the, if both those players begin to, uh, you know, achieve that upside, 
a year from now or two years from now, whenever the Jets decide to uh, go back to the bargaining table in an effort to to negotiate a contract extension with those players, the Jets will be happy to pay for that increased production because that's what they want to see out of these guys. They're both still young. They're both still 24 years old. You know, Mm -hmm. the Jets would gladly pay from, you know, to see them be, you know, middle six or, or top six players from the times that they're 25 to their 29 or 30 or whatever it might be, hopefully before that uh, age curve begins to rear its ugly head, Dave. No, I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And I look, I'm reading the comment now from Alan Hayes, who says, if the new depth additions from the PLD trade playing the defensive system consistently as a unit, they may surprise a lot of team people uh, with respect to this team, I think is what Alan was trying to say. Yeah. And I think he's not wrong. I think that there's a a part of that. And that's why I think, and we'll get into that, Drew, as you alluded to in yeah. the next hour through a conversation as he was having, pitting Jay Fresh against Dom, you know, the idea of one model saying they're going to be the second best team in the NHL and the other one saying they'll be the 27th best team in the <laughs> NHL. And of course- It's a wide I, gap right there. Well, and it's funny because I had someone say to me, well, uh, on Twitter, he's like, well, you know, these pundits, I go, yeah, how many pundits actually go back and say, this is what I got right and this is what I got wrong. So Mm -hmm. I said, you know, you always have to take these projections with a big old grain of salt, especially in the middle of summer when there are a million and one factors still to take into account. But, you know, getting back to Alan's comment, that idea of a defense, a more defensively responsible uh, Jets team. And that's one that folks have, look, defensively, defensive hockey isn't, the best it isn't the prettiest to watch sometimes but you know the ultimately it could be you know i mean again if you play a puck possession game and you're not you know um simplistic with 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 what you're doing if you're following a system you know and these systems aren't aren't complicated i mean most teams it's not like this team's like okay we're running 17 different systems you're running (laughs) we are playing with seven forwards that's our system but the point I'm making is that, you know, these the you do look at the Ayafalos and the Rasmus Kapari and most specifically Gabe Velarde, who brings a hell of a lot more defensive responsibility than Pierre-Luc Dubois ever did. And I think that, for me, is what's going to be impactful. You know, we'll see what a full season of Vlad Nemestikov can do. You know, Cole Perfetti. And, and I know that people think he can't stay healthy. And obviously he has had his health issues. And that will be the biggest factor. But, like, when you heard Kevin Dayoff, who's the general manager of this team, talk about the Jets club, what did he talk about? He talked about the big expectations on Cole Perfetti's sh- shoulders and what Part kind of, of step. Body. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, exactly. And so will he be able to, you know, step up and become, assume that, that mantle. And that's, there's, there's, there, you know, there is a responsibility and there's going to be an opportunity. And that's the big word we always use, the big O word that we use that opportunity word and and, and it's going to be across the board. That's the one we focus on Drew on this show, not on another one, but the point is that you knew where my brain went. I That's could see it instantly. I, I watched you your, said, as soon as you said it, I'm like, well, there goes my brain. Yeah, uh, right I, I, into the Drew, gutter as per you. You know what? Oh, come on. Come on. This is a family show. We had Bailey, the intern. Thankfully Bailey jumped off so she could go explore Toronto. She's not listening to your dirty mind, but the point I'm trying to make is that there, there is a opportunity with, with, for battles in training camp. And that's what you want to see. And you want to see that you want to see, to be honest, you, you want to see Billy Hainola. And I know people are going to poo poo that, but you want to see Declan Chisholm. You want to see these young guys come in. You don't need to see Kyle Capobianco. Kyle Capobianco was a good vet. He did what the organization asked him. He was ready when they needed him. And he played fine when he was thrown into the lineup. I'm not, I'm not maligning Capo Capobianco. I'm just saying that there are a lot of Capo Capobiancos that Kyle Capobiancos. I just like saying his Capo, name Capo, over and over again. Yeah, exactly. But I just think that it's, 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 and look, you know, Jay Miller's asking who's the two C again. 
It's a good question. A, it's a very good question because I a, see a lot of it. You know, I see a lot of people saying it's Nemesnikov, and and it, it might be. But we I asked I, him, Drew. We asked him yesterday, and I don't want to yeah. be a spoiler, but we did ask him if he has a preference. He did. And for the record, spoiler alert: he doesn't. <laughs> but you know, that's I think that's a big I, that's a big factor. I think that is sort of being uh, not necessarily overlooked, but I mean, I, I expect the Jets are going to tro- probably try and give it to Velarde. That was, I mean, I, I mean, I, and I see all these projections where you know he's not, not necessarily playing that role, but I think the Jets would love to see him grow into that slot and be the second line center for this team. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, I mean, I, with all due respect to to Vlad Nemesnikov, and he was a great guest, and we appreciate him joining us. And you'll hear that interview coming up in about uh, seventy minutes time here uh, on the show. I mean, Vlad Nemesnikov hasn't been that high in a team's lineup in a lot of years now. I mean, you know, it's so to expect him to come in and, and and play that role for the Jets is asking a whole heck of a lot from him. Now, some people might say, well, it's going to be a group effort, and it certainly is. But when you're, you know, at, at some point in time, it does come down to matchups and it comes down to, uh, you know, the talent of the opposition. And, you know, with all due respect to Nemestikov, I don't know that he's necessarily uh, well-suited for going up against the Leon Dreisaitl's, if you want to call, it. I mean Dreisaitl in every in you know in, in every world is a is a first line center, but on Edmonton he might be a second line center or right. you know whatever it might be. So I mean that's asking a whole heck of a lot from a player who is a very intelligent player, a, vel- a very uh, well regarded veteran in this league, but that's playing in a in a higher role in a, in a higher level than he's accustomed to. Now, do the Jets have another option? Well, they don't really. I mean, Velarde, if he can roll into that role, that would be ideal for the team, and I think that would be their their that would be their ultimate wish. But you know, you that in, involves growing into that role is the is the operative word there is is developing into that role, and then never mind with you know Shifley and Connor if they're still going to be, you know, they can put the puck in the net. Nobody disputes that. But if at the same time they're going to be you know the opposition's going to put the puck more in the net. Uh, when they're on the ice, if they're going to lose that head-to-head battle because of their defensive shortcomings, well, that's also not, uh, you know, that's not great. That's not that's not something that uh, is easy to overcome for the Winnipeg Jets. So I don't, uh, you know, I don't subscribe to the those who are, and it's not coming from Winnipeg by and large, but, you know, those who are really down on the Jets, I think that they are a, in the central division, which is the division, obviously, that they play in and they play the majority of their games in, I think the Jets are going to be fighting tooth and nail for a playoff spot. I don't mm-hmm. believe that they're going to be, as one of the projections was, the second best team in the NHL. But I also don't think that they're going to be a bottom five team in the NHL. I think the depth is better, and they're going to be a team that's going to be fighting all season long to be a playoff team. I don't think it's going to be, uh, you know, I think they're going to, they're one of the many teams that are in the middle of the pack. Is that good enough? Is that where you want them to be? Well, that's sort of almost a separate situation and a separate topic of conversation for another day in time. But that's where I see this team right now as we're getting closer to the sort of end of what I would describe the transactions for the summer. Yeah, I think it's a fair assessment. And and again, it, there's so many question marks, right? And that's that's the interesting thing. And that's why I think projections are just a waste of time at this point of the season. Because really, until you know how the team is going to be composed like how do you how do you make a projection you know if Connor Hellebuck isn't the number one goaltender doesn't that change your projections 
You know, if if mm-hmm. Mark Scheifele oh, yeah, isn't isn't your number one center with this forty two goals, and again, I the presumption would be you're getting something back. It's gonna be player for player, but again, you have to figure that out. Like, so I, I I just look at it and I laugh because I'm like, okay, well, what what is this really the worth the paper it's written on? Because there's so much uncertainty. And look, right. Gabe Velarde, you're right, Drew. I've seen so many people. He's gonna be the winger alongside Mark Scheifele. Well, that improves Mark Scheifele defensively, or at least that line hundred percent. Mm-hmm. But aren't you looking at Gabe Velarde? And Gabe Velarde himself talked about it. When he came into the league, he was a center. And he didn't get earned the trust of the Kings coaching staff. In fact, he earned their ire more mm-hmm. often than not. And he went to the wing. And of course, they obviously have a lot of center depth with Kopitar and Deneau and 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 you know, so from yeah. that perspective, Dubois now, but well, yeah, now Dubois, but yeah. but yes, but the point is that yeah, you know, there is and and they, they didn't need him up the middle as de- they didn't need to hit for him to succeed up the middle as desperately as the Jets sort of do need him to succeed up the middle. That's, right. You know, th- that's well, the and point. again, it, it, but it comes back to that idea. Like, here's an opportunity for Gabe Velarde to be like, okay, I can be a, a, a position player that this team desperately needs. It's going to put me in a position to have a ton of success. Mm-hmm. If I, you know, look, if Gabe Velarde's playing aside Nikolai Ehlers, Cal Connor, or Cole Pervetti, you know, that's a lot of talent on that line, regardless of who his wingers are. But I think that will make him a, you know, better player. There's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot to like from it. So look, the, the, the sample size of him playing center in LA obviously wasn't significant, but this organization, I think from, from a lot, in a lot of ways makes that mistake in terms of you have guys who play a certain position their entire career. And a lot of organizations do it where they don't trust the player. And again, we saw that with, and you have to earn the trust. You don't just get the position, but uh, you know, like I said, it sounds like Gabe Velarde learned and changed his way of thinking and earned the trust in LA to play more, some, some more center by the time, you know, within last year. And, and obviously, like I said, that may be an opportunity. I just think if you look at the Jets, you know, traditionally you have guys who play center in the American hockey league, Jack Roslevic, and then they switch him over to the wing. They have a guy in Cole Perfetti who could play center. They switch him to the wing. Now I understand why you do Cole Perfetti because maybe of a size, um, you know, mismatch in 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 the NHL. But again, I you know Perfetti is a smart player. I, I do wonder if 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 it can be again that, that like I think it becomes a, bo- a battle, a training camp battle, Drew, where you know Rick Bonus is going to say, sure, let's see Gabe Velarde at center for two of these preseason games. These preseason games actually may have a lot of significance, even though we usually make fun of them and we do not do post-game shows for pre-game for the pre-games. The reality is there could be a lot, it's a lot more significant, I think, even though you're playing, you know, generally speaking against the other teams, AHL club and prospects, and you might be playing your NHL guys. I think it's going to give an opportunity for Perfetti and Velarde to try and establish themselves. I mean, that's the thing you've got, you've always got Nemestikov as a safety valve backup, but there you've got really your, I think your point is well-made. I think you, you, Keep Nemestikov as your in your back pocket. You know he's kind of your ace in the hole. Ultimately, if you need him, but I'll, but really, you want to see Velarde or Perfetti step up and take that, and then you can at least, like I said, have a little bit of center depth. 
yeah, it's going to be a fascinating training camp battle, but the point for the Winnipeg Jets, the good news for the Winnipeg Jets is that they have Gabe Velarde under contract for the next couple of years. They have Morgan Barron under contract for the next couple of years, uh, still to be uh, determined under the contract status. Logan Stanley, Declan Chisholm, Rasmus Kupari wouldn't expect any of those to be contentious, but uh, they'll probably get figured out over the coming weeks or so as the Jets quickly uh, move out of the summer until August where things really quiet down in the NHL front. When we come back, Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press joins us to talk more about the Winnipeg Jets. And at the bottom of our number two, as we discussed our interview with Vlad Nemesnikov. Stay tuned. It's a Saturday morning. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're live on all of our social media platforms. We're back Saturday morning. Welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're waiting for Jeff Hamilton to join us momentarily. But I had to share this photo, Dave M, because I needed it on the record that this is what happened last Saturday afternoon. I was playing basketball in my driveway with my son, Sam. And then I looked across the street and who was walking down the street, but our good friend from the athletic Murata Tesh. And Wait, is, Murata with the athle- is he with the athletic? I couldn't tell. <laughs> he's got the athletic t-shirt. He's got the athletic cap. I'm not entirely certain if he had a big A shaved into the side of his beard or not, but I didn't, uh, I don't believe he did. But nonetheless, not only did I wave at Murat, not only did I wave, but I went over. We had a whole stop and chat, the arm around each other for the photo. So I needed to put this on the record. To, I, I tweeted it earlier in the week when it happened, but I wanted the audience. officially be on the record then? Well, I guess it could be, but I wanted the audience on the show to see it, uh, to see it that I not only did I wave, but we hugged and chatted and everything else. So any beef that exists. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. We got the winning comment from Matthew Thompson. Old hippie meets new hippie. <laughs> I, I was proudly sporting the tie dye and everything else. But nonetheless, yeah. there you go. Me and Marat arms around each other together forever i wanted to share that uh i wanted to share that uh, <laughs> hold on we got another we got another winner from our good friend spency well let me focus on it this photo is filled with in quotes athletic while also being filled with completely unathletic ironically thank you you're right Very well done if you've ever seen me play basketball you would really a tinker, you, folks you would be uh you, yeah you would be uh, cringing at my basketball skills my son who's five, is, is a much better basketball player. I can't hit the uh, broad side of a barn uh, from a foot away, unfortunately, when it comes to basketball. But nonetheless, there it is. There's the photo of me and Murat from last uh, week. More here. importantly, how can you tell it's almost it's the second last show of the season when our content is now a picture of you and Murat and we're supposed to uh, provide some sort of analysis here? There's no analysis you need to provide. It's just... Oh, I want to... Believe me, I could spend 10 minutes talking about that shirt. The shirt is a great shirt. I'm not going to deal with anything about the shirt. But anyways, I wanted to send you that. Not sure what happened to, to Jeff Hamilton. I'm going to send him a text to see if yeah, he's ready do. to join us. Uh, rather than, uh, yeah, so I'm just going to remind we him. Appre- I, we don't appreciate tardiness on the, uh, we, all, we don't appreciate tardiness unless it's Ezzy and I on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. So, uh, yeah, it's, come on, Jeff. Exactly that's right. Show start, the interview started at 9.30. We're cutting you off. We're not here. <laughs> Nonetheless, yes, I do look remarkably small in that fold in that in that photo as well. I'm not yeah, sure. And Murat's not that tall, so I'm not entirely certain if he was standing on a curb and you were down below or what. But uh, definitely a little unusual. 
I think that was it. Is that uh, I think I, he was on the curb and I was a little bit lower, but I'm certainly uh, look. I'm not tall. I, I've come to grips with the fact that I'm, I'm not going to be tall, and my hairline is clearly uh, absent. But uh, nonetheless, I don't think I'm quite as short. <laughs> as it indicates, I look like a munchkin in that photo, but uh, nonetheless, it was uh, great to see Murat. Hold on, Takedown Legend also has a good one. Wolfman <laughs> Wolf hugs man with alopecia. <laughs> okay, well, you know, as long as I'm being the butt of the joke for everybody, that's the important part. Uh, by the way, Drew, before, I don't know if you saw the comment, but Nicole said she was happy to have met you and she was at yes. Rumors and she was very thankful for the Rumors. So uh, shout out to Nicole. I think she said it was, uh, was it her daughter's? It was no. her daughter's wedding social. Last, daughter's wedding last social Saturday. yesterday. Yeah, at, at, or yeah, last Saturday at so at uh, rumors that you got the comment. So, yes, it was wonderful uh, to meet Nicole and uh, uh, her husband and celebrate with uh, with everybody that was there for the great uh, wedding social last Saturday. So yes, there we go. That was terrific. So a lot of fun, a lot of good things happening uh, so far on this Saturday morning uh, here on the program. Everyone's calling me a munchkin now. I'm not sure if I, how how I feel about that, people. But uh, that's okay. I that's can, okay, I, Drew. Munchkins I have a matter. thick skin. Yeah, <laughs> I have a thick skin indeed. Uh, so we'll let's let's move on to talking about the golf in the in the analytics. Uh, sure. We uh, wait, Jeff Hamilton uh, approaching uh, this as he as up. he was creating a divide in the analytics community with his tweets. Well, no, I, you know, I, 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 it's much to my chagrin to give Ezzy credit. You know, I don't like doing that, but I thought he asked a very reasonable question. Right. So you know, uh, on Twitter, Jay Fresh uh, Hockey put out his. Uh, projections based on the, the current lineups that the teams are, you know, are, are projected to have for next season. And lots of things can still change, but based on their projected lineups, he has the Winnipeg Jets uh, winning the central division, amassing 107 points, which is an incredible year for the Winnipeg Jets, especially a Winnipeg Jets team that has been uh, mushy middle as of late. That puts them second in the entire NHL in terms of, uh, points behind only the Edmonton Oilers, who he has projected at 108 points. So he puts the Jets as the second best team, or second best regular season team in the NHL with 107 points. Meanwhile, you flip over to uh, so that would be what six more wins than they had last year. Yeah, and remember, and it was you know it was it was fighting tooth and nail for the Jets. Right. Well, they had that points. terrible terrible two months, uh, February and March, right? So yes, exactly right. So I mean, he but he has high hopes for the Winnipeg Jets, and then you flip it over to uh, the Athletic and Dom Luchison, and I might be mispronouncing his name, and I apologize if I do. And hence Dom, the reason why I drew why I only said Dom. Yeah, well, you're much smarter than I am, <laughs> and he has the Winnipeg Jets not necessarily as the 27th best team in the league, but he has them ranked 27th in terms of their improvement between this year and next year. So he says that the Jets really didn't improve at all. And if you're 27th in the improvement rankings, that means you're a worse team than you were the year before, if I can extrapolate that out a little bit. Yeah. So he says that the uh, the, the, the subtractions of Pierre-Luc Dubois, the subtractions of Blake Wheeler, are more detrimental to the Winnipeg Jets than the additions of Gabe Velarde, Alex Ayafalo, Lauren Persois, and Rasmus Kupari. Here's what he said. I'll read it verbatim. Pierre-Luc Dubois was one of the most impactful players to switch sides this offseason, while Blake Wheeler is still a useful top-six scoring winger, even if he's in decline. Winnipeg's top-six is going to look very different next season without those two. No question about that one. No argument there. That's where Gabe Velarde and Alex Ayafalo come in. The Jets did admirably well in the Dubois blockbuster to nab those two, and they definitely helped fill the void to an extent. 
Velarde is an especially intriguing option, and the at the very least, the duo should help beef up Winnipeg's defensive game. As admirable as it is, it's still a downgrade. The, this Jets team is going to be worse next season, and the addition of Rasmus Kupari doesn't really help with that. He was the other piece in the Dubois deal and projects to be Winnipeg's 12th best forward. He says that the goal difference between Velarde, Ayafalo, and Kupari versus Pierre-Luc Dubois and Blake Wheeler is negative 10 is the goal difference as a result of those moves, and that's why he has the Jets ranked so low. Mm-hmm. So you have two gentlemen who subscribe to analytics as their sort of uh, driving force, as their backbone for a lot of their analysis. Right. And you have two very different opinions about the Winnipeg Jets next season, Mr. Manuk. Yeah, and they, and they obviously do not use the same models to reach those those same predictions, obviously. Uh, but look, I mean, I, I'm not here to defend one or the other, to pick one or the other, because I think that, I honestly, first of all, I don't think projections have a lot of value in the first place. I really don't. And again, you show me someone who, and I, I again, I, I'll be honest, I don't really pay attention to them, so I can't tell you whether my statement is going to be accurate or not, but how many of these guys who have been making, who have been doing something like this, because generally speaking, if you're doing this this year, you've probably been doing this, you know, in previous years. So in the previous 10 years, how accurate have these models been? I, that, that would be something I'm curious about. And with the Jets, I don't know how you make that prediction, prediction simply because I understand you're basing it on the current roster as constructed right now versus last year and, and, and that sort of impact. But what I'm suggesting is, Without Connor Hellebuck, this team could look very different. Without Mark well, Scheifele, yeah. you know, and I know, no, I, and I know that the projections are based on the current lineup. I, I understand that, Drew. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I have a lack of understanding of that. I'm just saying those are factors. So I would never say, well, this model is, you know, and, and Joe made a, a good point. He said, look, what's going to happen if you have Nikolai Ehlers who's healthy for the entire season? We don't know if that's going to be the case, but what happens if Nikolai Ehlers is healthy the entire season? And, and here, here's another great point from Joe. We, we like we love Joe on the show, and Joe is always make a good point, but he said Ehlers will get a lot of Wheeler's penalty power play minutes this season. Dom's model doesn't take that into consideration. Well, guy, what have we been talking about on the show for how many years is that Blake Wheeler should have been on the second power play unit and Nikolai Ehlers should have been on your first power play unit? And you want to talk about analytics? Analytics have told you that. Eye test has told you that. Everybody do that now the coaches are the coaches and sometimes they don't necessarily want to be told what they need to do but i'm just saying that that i really do think look every year teams are gonna you know have to have a little pie in the sky you have to have a little hope you have to hope that cole perfetti takes a step forward but that's kind of one on a team's internal projections that's what they are projecting right cole perfetti is going to take a leap like this nikolai ehlers with no blake wheeler to block him can be your first line winger now if you decide to construct the lines that way, but Nikolai Ehlers can be your first, he can earn, he can have those minutes, not the 14 to 16 minutes that folks are like, and Rick Bonus tried to sell people like, well, you know, that made a lot of sense. That was, and Palmer's tried to do that too. Maybe Nikolai Ehlers is having success because he's playing those minutes. Right. I was like, okay, that could <laughs> well, be the case, but give him, a crazy give him notion. more minutes and see if give he him, continues the yeah, success. Exactly. Give him another five minutes and see what happens. So yeah. look, I, again, like I said, I have no idea if he's going to stay healthy. And suggest, the history would suggest it's, it's, it'll be difficult for him. And Nikolai Ehlers himself uh, addressed that in his, I think, end-of-season media availability, where he talked about the importance of, of, of staying healthy and being available for this team because of how you know impactful. I mean, he didn't say this, but it, it, we, we are saying this, mm-hmm. how impactful he is for the Jets. So you can't just pretend like not having Nikolai Ehlers 
is is not important to this team. And I know that the team was able to have success without Ehlers last year and without Wheeler, if you remember. And that was that goes back to that idea, Drew, of having a hardworking team and having a team that's going to you know, do what they need to do. Like when we had guys like Mikey Essimont come up from the Moose or Jansen Harkins, guys, you know, work ethic. And that's that's what this team needs. It's the work ethic. And folks want to talk about Winnipeg being a blue-collar town and having a strong work ethic. Well, I mean, I think that's 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 going to be a factor. And I think, you know, Rick Bonus, if he's known for anything, is, is known for being, you know, a lover of defense. And I think that is what we're going to see. And you might, you know, the, we always hear the preaching, you can get offense coming from good defense. Well, we're going to, I suspect, see that with a more defensively responsible team. But yeah, I just think it is. I, I just think like the the analytics really, I understand where they're coming from. And look, it's it's summer content. There's not a ton to talk about in July while you're waiting for, um, you know, signings to still happen and the last few RFAs to get done. But we're, we're rapidly approaching, Drew, when we take our five-week hiatus and... Mm-hmm. And we basically say, okay, because most of the hockey world says, okay, there's nothing to talk about. And of course, folks, don't worry. There'll still be some conversations, some one-on-ones on our YouTube channel, courtesy of this guy with, with various, whether they're Jets or Moose. But we'll have some, uh, some guys that I'll be talking to in August, of course. But we ourselves will be taking time off from this show after next week. And I'm just saying that, I just think that there's, a, there's not a ton of value, ultimately, is what I would put it in, in terms of these projections. I really don't. Again, unless you can go back and say, hey, Jay Fresh's accuracy in predictions in the last 10 years was 95%. Or Dom's model is X percent. And again, I don't know. I haven't done the the, the research necessarily to know uh, how the accurate either model is. is what you're t- so you're yeah. saying you know, that you know, without knowing the success rate, you know, doing projections is is very not isn't really necessarily worth it because you know I can project that I'm going to win the handsomest man you know <laughs> of the year for the 48th year running, and if it hasn't happened, then maybe my projection is isn't so great at that front. Um, look, and I've seen a lot of comments in the chat, a lot of people saying you know that these projections, and and we're not. I just want to be clear. I'm not poo-pooing these projections. I think there is some value in them. I understand your perspective completely, Dave, but, uh, you know, I do think that it's it's an interesting exercise that I don't mind reading about in the sort of the, the dog days of summer. But I think a lot of people are talking about culture. And I'm see and and I'm seeing that a lot, saying that you these projections and Dom's projections and Jay Fresh's projections and anybody else who does projections can't factor in culture and a cultural change in the dressing room and without Blake Wheeler in that dressing room I think that is going to be a factor I don't know the extent of that factor because obviously you can't predict uh, you know culture and measure uh, the impact of that before you it, it begins to happen but I do think that his absence and I'm not using this as an opportunity to 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 jump on him he you know he's departed Winnipeg and for that was better for everybody but I do think that that's a factor that will need that will be a a significant storyline certainly to start this year in Winnipeg. Now, you know, you can't, you know, at some point in time, a player being absent from the room, you know, wears out. The impact of that wears off. It's not something that you can uh, hold on to and rely on. Uh, non-stop for the entirety of an NHL season. At some point, you're just into the uh, the the day in day out grind of the season, and that player is no longer a factor. Their absence is no longer a factor. But I do think it's going to be a 
play a role in this Winnipeg Jets team, certainly to start the year. I think it is going to probably help this Winnipeg Jets team as you see officially some of those other players be able to move forward and not necessarily have that uh, a glass ceiling of culture and a glass ceiling of leadership that Wheeler's presence may have been for the last number of years. So I do think that's going to be something certainly very interesting to keep an eye on and watch as the season unfolds. Look, I don't think the Jets are the second best team in the NHL. By the way, you know, you, you know, Jay Fresh gave a very quick synopsis as to why his projections have the Jets where they are. He says, you know, that the, his model loves the Jets forward. They, he, his model loves the impact that Ayafalo and Velarde bring to the Winnipeg Jets. Always, of course, loves Connor Hellebuck for his impact. Um, and, you know, if Connor Hellebuck isn't the Winnipeg Jets starting goaltender uh, come training camp, well, then this entire conversation is basically a moot one. But I do believe he's going to be the Jets starting goaltender. And I do believe that Mark Shifley is still going to be a member of the Winnipeg Jets. You know, does the defense change between now and training camp? I think it's possible. I think it's time is running out to really see that happen. But I do still think it's possible that the defense changes. Um, but the Jets aren't going to be a 107-point team. But at the same time, they're not going to be a bottom-five team. This is a team that in a in a not very talented central division, you can't tell me that the Jets are that much different, in my estimation, from really anybody that isn't the Colorado Avalanche. I'm banking on the Avalanche having a, a comeback season, but they still have question marks about them with, you know, they, we know that they've gone through a, a fair bit of change this off season. We know that, you know, Gabe Landeskog's not going to play next year. You know, is Ryan Johansson going to be a capable uh, replacement in Colorado or is he going to be the disappearing act that we've seen from him, uh, you know, in Nashville for so many years? I know a lot of the models, some of the other models are really high on the Nashville Predators. I don't quite see that. I know that they have the great goaltender, of course, in, in UC Soros. I mean, but you can't tell me that the Jets, from my perspective, are that much different from Dallas or Minnesota or St. Louis or Nashville. And so I think it's going to be a dogfight. Mm -hmm. But I do think that if the Jets score 20 less goals than they did last year, maybe not 20 because goal scoring at times was an issue for the Jets, but if the Jets are giving up and are more defensively responsible uh, because of the additions this offseason, you know, then that's going to be a huge factor for this team. If Connor Hellebuck's life gets easier and he's still at the level where he has been, where he was last year and where he often has been, then this Jets team is going to win some games. They just are. It's, you know, almost by default by having that kind of goaltender. And if you have, uh, you know, a, a, a strong commitment to defense, now you have to improve the back end, I still think. You know, I don't know that, you know, Neil Pionk is all of a sudden going to get to somewhere, you know, that he hasn't been in a number of years. You know, it's been a long time since Neil Pionk was a really quality defender in this league. I don't know that Nate Schmidt can get back to where when he was at his best. But if the Jets can somehow tap into that, or at least those guys improve to some extent... You know, if the defense improves to some extent and the defensive responsibility on the team improves, because I think it's going to just by default of the players who you've acquired and you still have Connor Hellebuck in your net, you're going to win some games is my, is my perspective. Yeah, and and I think the, I'm going to seize on one of the points you just made about uh, Hellebuck and helping him out. I mean, first of all, Lauren Bressois is going to want to play some games. Yeah. And Lauren Bressois got healthy. I know that folks are like, look at you look at his stretch run with, with Vegas down 
you know, at the end of the season when he was finally ready to go. And I had someone tell me from Vegas that, you know, he had surgery last summer that really corrected a problem that he had been suffering since junior. And he wasn't able to really use, I think it was his left side, the way he traditionally, you know, a goaltender would. So it kind of became like a, a dead, almost a dead zone for him. But he actually had that corrected last summer and he was a lot better. He went down to the AHL and, you know, worked on his game and was able to get back to, um, you know, Lauren Brassois that we saw here in Winnipeg. And let me tell you, you want to talk about a guy who has got a good attitude. Uh, I There was a podcast that he did with one of the locals in BC that I posted on the website uh, a couple days ago. It's worth giving a listen to. But he's he he along with a lot of guys, and we've talked about it, you know, with with the attitude towards Winnipeg and and just the desire to be here. And he said, "Look, I, I'm not saying that I want to be the number one goaltender, but I'm also not not saying it that I'm going to be willing to push Connor Hellebuck, and I want him to be a better goaltender and with me there. So I think they'll have more faith, to be honest with you, in Lauren Brassois, especially what you saw him do. Right? I mean, again, him right now it's health, but he was excellent against the Jets." Despite the backup comments, he was excellent in the playoffs. He was excellent in the stretch run. Did he? I think what was he seven zero three? I think in one maybe in his eleven games that he played for Vegas down the stretch, and yeah. I think he went five and two in the playoffs. So, I mean, we go, you got to factor in that you're going to have a much more capable backup than David Riddich. I didn't think David Riddich was good last year. I know he played okay a little bit, but I don't. I didn't think he was capable of the, being the a, a no, reliable. The team, had, the team had no faith in in him. Well, I mean, I can't say the, that because I can't tell you what the team, whether they were what they were thinking. It just, you can say that based on their play. I, look, I'm just saying that to me, David Riddich wasn't the answer last year, and I think that you know. So again, and I and I've made this comment a lot. Connor Hellebuck has faced the most shots since he became the full time NHL goalder, goaltender of the Winnipeg Jets in 2015-16. Nobody in the NHL, and nobody plays as many games as him, but nobody in the NHL has faced as many shots as he has. Now, if you extrapolate, Vasilevsky and Gibson, I think, would be around the same if they played as often as he does. They don't. So since 15, 16, nobody has faced as many shots as Connor Hellebuck. So, yes, you need to, especially when you play him that much, you need the defensive game of this hockey team to be a whole hell of a lot better than it's been. Because when a guy is facing that many shots on a nightly basis, I mean, think about how many times we've said, holy, you know, Hellebuck saved 50 shots, won them the game. They didn't deserve to win, but he won them the game. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't have that because it breaks the goaltender down. And he's not, again, he's not 25 anymore. And I'm not saying he's old by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just saying that you don't want to have that much, you know, tread taken off the tires by the end of the season for your number one goaltender. So I think the addition of a more defensively responsible hockey team is going to benefit Connor Hellebuck. And I think the addition of Lauren Brassois, a guy he created a relationship with for three years, same agency, same trainers in you know uh, in BC. I think that they'll 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 really work well together and create that dynamic. And uh, I think it'll benefit the Winnipeg Jets. You know, I want to. I, I think I highlighted this comment from Seven JP7B. Sorry, that's hard to read. But uh, I, you isn't know, that your, I, uh, isn't that your debit card password, Drew? Yeah, that is. It's actually Bosco. You should know that my debit card password by now is Bosco. <laughs> but you know, he said, uh, you know, I think that this year Rick Bonus, uh, you know, spelling notwithstanding, really has a chance to put his stamp on the team. And you know, I I do think that this team for this coming season is going to be constructed in a in in a way that Rick Bonus is more comfortable with. Now, I know that a lot of people believe and the numbers, you know, would say that maybe Rick Bonus doesn't necessarily, when he's coaching, always get the best out of some of his players. And I understand and I have time for that argument. But 
putting that to the side for a minute or two, I don't think when you look at this year's Jets forwards and last year's Jets forwards, I think this year's version is going to be is going to be a lot more palatable for Rick Bonus in terms of how he wants his teams to play. I think last year he probably got a fair bit of heartburn uh, watching the Jets play the way they did. In fact, we know that he basically did based on his reaction from the second half of the year till the end of the season. You could see this is not how he wants his teams to play. Sure, at times they might be able to succeed in spite of that, but he doesn't feel as though it is long-term viable. Now, you know, I also have time to hear that that's a you know, not necessarily the approach that Rick Bonus should take with some of his players. That he, you know, when you have players who are better suited to a certain style, maybe you have to adjust as a coach to to fit those players. And I have a lot of time for that argument. In fact, I think that coaches uh, too often aren't adaptable enough to the talent that is that is around them. Nonetheless, that's a separate issue for a separate day and time. But you know, I think this team as constructed for this coming season, is going to be able to play a style that Rick Bonus is much more comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Now, does that necessarily translate into victories? Does that necessarily translate into success? Well, time will tell on that front. But from the coaching perspective, from the coach being behind the bench, being comfortable with the players he has to deploy. I think this team is a lot more palatable for Rick Bonas than last year's team was. Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair assessment. And and look, I, I think Kenny's water bottle, who we love on this show, even though he said we didn't throw him any love because he's an inanimate object. We do love Kenny's water bottle, KWB, but he, he does make a good point, right? What the comments about Rick Bonas is that he can play a defensive system but he stifles the offense in the under the the guise of trying to get his team to play better offense, a defense, sorry. So there's again, coaches have to adjust. Coaches have to be able to do both. You can't just play this isn't the New Jersey Devils and the Minnesota Wild of the 90s where, you know, or late or early 2000s where offense was an occasional thing. You had Marty Brodeur and Nett and you played, you know, you had you know Scott Stevens and 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 his hit Kenny Danico, our boy uh and a lot of other you know scott niedermeyer you think um, ken ben, ken danico refers to us as his boys i think so okay fair enough Just no i mean i'm pretty sure as he's got a couple of new jersey devil stanley cup rings that he, uh i gifted him for his birthday last year actually coincidentally uh it's funny i now that i think about it drew i do seem to buy as a lot of birthday gifts i don't receive a lot of birthday <laughs> gifts from ezra but i do buy him a lot of gifts because i bought him that thing to help with his snoring, that was probably a gift for any, for Naomi or anybody who's ever been in a room with Ed's. Yeah. But uh, and then last year, I bought him uh, I bought him some Stanley Cup rings. But you know, you think the guy would be? Uh, you bought him a Stanley Cup ring? Yeah, I was at. I don't know if anybody has ever been to that Mulvey Street Market on on Osborne. Yeah, uh, sort of and flea I, market sort of shop. Yeah, place. but I was honestly, it's like walking back in time. It's it's amazing actually. And so I was there, and one guy sold like replica rings, and he had two devil, he had two Devils championship rings. So I was like, well, I got to buy those breads. They're hilarious. Okay, so well, I gave very, it to him. That's yeah. two more gifts than I think I've ever bought them. <laughs> it's probably true, but anyways, <laughs> not anyways. Yeah, let's. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'm not sure what happened to Jeff Hamilton this morning. He's probably he's out. In. He's he'll out. never. Uh, he'll, he'll never, never be on this show again. again. He won't he's be on. on the, I can. I can sp- say one thing. He will not be on a legal curve for the remainder of the 22-23 season. He has been banned. Wow, Dave's laying down the law with uh, 
banning with but i don't book yes so you guys can book whoever you want (laughs) okay there you go yeah you have no say on this one so nonetheless the banning the banishment really doesn't matter but nonetheless uh maybe we'll see if jeff is uh responds to a text message in the next couple days in the next couple of minutes or not uh let's go to break when we come back uh why don't you want to pivot and do the nemestikov interview yeah i think yeah yeah, we'll okay, so when we come break. back, yeah. the Vlad Nemesnikov interview. So yesterday, Dave and I were able to sit down with Vlad Nemesnikov, talk about his offseason, talk about his decision to re-sign here in Winnipeg. We'll play that for you coming up next. Don't go anywhere. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Saturday morning, we're live. Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years. Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, John Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party. Even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Hi, Ez. A strange question for you. Why are you lying on the ground being crushed by a piano? Well, Drew, I definitely tried to carry this baby grand piano down the stairs by myself, and somehow I failed miserably. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That was a silly question on my part. My apologies. Would you like me to call Rolly's Transfer Moving and Storage to help you move the piano? They are the most experienced piano moving company in Winnipeg, after all. Yes, please call Rollies and hurry. This piano is very, very heavy. Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage offers stress-free residential moving services while taking great care of your personal belongings, including your piano. At Rollies, no job is too big or too small. For more information, visit Rollies.com. Hi, it's Drew from Illegal Curve here. Selling your home can be stressful, but it wasn't for me. Thanks to my friends at Zapia Group Realty, they made the process so easy. My home sold within 48 hours and with multiple offers. Zapia Group Realty took care of everything with their exquisite customer service and attention to detail. If you want to sell your home for more in less time, get started by talking to Frank and Mauro Zapia of Zapia Group Realty. Online at zapiagroup.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center, and they whiten my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go, We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs, from restorative to cosmetic dentistry, and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. Boston Pizza harnessed Fanalytics to help optimize no-look dipping. Ooh, making adjustments so you can stay focused on the game. The playoffs at Boston Pizza, powered by Fanalytics. Curve Hockey Show rolls on. We're pleased to welcome to the program Winnipeg Jets forward. He's a winger sometimes. He's a center sometimes. He's a renaissance man. Vlad Nemesnikov joins us on the show. Vlad, thanks for joining us. How are things? Uh, things are good. Uh, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. We appreciate you giving us some time to talk to our audience, talk about the offseason, talk about, I guess, really, we'll start with the the big decision that you made, which is re-signing in Winnipeg. It's a two-year contract that happened on July 1st. You know, what went into your decision? I guess we'll start with we'll start with the low-hanging fruit, and then we'll see where the interview takes us from there. What went into your decision uh, to re-sign in Winnipeg? 
Um, you know, whenever the first time I got to Winnipeg, I loved everything. I mean, amazing team, great coaches. You know, everyone around the ring treats you, you know, with respect and um, great people overall. So um, it was pretty easy decision because, I mean, you know, July 1st is always stressful, but uh, I was I was happy to sign that contract with Winnipeg and come back. So when, you know, July 1st, you know, came and went and you, you know, when, when free agency opened, you, you know, it took a, you know, until a little bit later in the day to make that, to make that agreement or to come to an agreement with the Jets, you know, were you weighing other options? Were you, were you sort of evaluating what the marketplace had in store? So sort of maybe for our audience, take us through what a, what an unrestricted free agency day might look like. For me, I was just sitting on the couch and, you know, (laughs) that part of, of the business you know your agent is on the phone you know talking to other teams but you know it kind of happened so quick Winnipeg called and you know I had to make that decision quick you know because free agency you have to make that decision quick so um overall it was very very stressful but uh, at the end of the day I'm really happy that it worked out and you know I'm I'm here for two years two more years you know, Vlad, one of the things that uh, Elliot Friedman talked about was that you were happy to come back to Winnipeg. And it was one of the things, and a lot of guys are dispelling that notion. Laurent Brassois was just on a podcast. He talked about how Winnipeg gets a bit of a bad rap, but it's really, you know, it, it's a it's a great hockey town. Sure, it's cold. It's it's We're not going to, you know, pretend like it isn't. But it does have a lot of other benefits that if you're, you know, a hockey player and you want to be valued, this is a market for, for a lot of players. Yeah, you're you're 100 right. And, you know, for me, you know that when I saw the whiteout in playoffs, that was the uh, you know when I was like, wow, this is this is what hockey is all about. This is what why you want to play hockey in in front of those fans. I mean, that I had goosebumps when when that happened. So, um, yeah, as you said, it's it's a hockey market. Great fans, they treat you well. So nothing to really complain about. Yes, it's cold, but I mean, at the end of the day, who really cares about that kind of stuff? So I'm, I'm happy to be back. You can, you can, with, with a $2 million contract, you can afford a nice heavy jacket to keep you warm in <laughs> yeah. the winter, right? For sure. Uh, you know, when you came to Winnipeg, you know, right around the trade deadline last year, uh, did you know, were you familiar with any of the guys on the team in particular? Did you have any connections, you know, guys that were sort of uh, reaching out to you when the trade went down and, and talking about what you were sort of coming into a team that had really some high peaks earlier in the year, but had maybe been in a bit of a valley and then needed that big push to get into the playoff spot? Uh, yeah, I played with a couple guys. I played with uh, Sam Gagne in Detroit uh, the year before. Um, I played with Neil Pionk in on the Rangers. So um, there were a couple familiar faces, but other than that, you know, you come into the locker room, you meet everyone, and you go out there and play. Um, for me, it was a quick turnaround. I got there, and we had a game that day. So, um, yeah, I came in the locker room, met everyone, and and hopped on the ice with them. So um, that's how that's how the business works sometimes. You can just call guys by their number until you fully learn their name when you're on the ice, right? You can yeah, just, exactly, yeah, yeah. Something along those lines. I mean, that was sort of a, a, a bit of a bizarre stretch for you. You went from Tampa to San Jose, you know, albeit quite briefly, to Winnipeg. So, you know, that whirlwind that's going on at that point in time, how are you sort of handling that? How are you sort of sort of uh, navigating those waters when, when all those moves are happening at once? Yeah, when, uh, when I got traded... Uh, from Tampa to San Jose. San Jose GM called me right away and said um, they're going to flip me, but I didn't know where. So, you know, I think it was like a day and a half. I was just sitting there and not knowing what was going to happen. And then um, Winnipeg wanted uh, to trade, but uh, I had to move my no trade clause to come there. So I was happy to do that. And uh, that's how I ended up in, in Winnipeg. 
So you know, what went into that decision? You know, a lot of guys, you know, we hear it nonstop. Oh, that guy will never come here. He's got a no trade clause. That guy won't come here. He's got a no move clause, things like that. Why were you so willing to do that contrary to what we allegedly hear from so many others? Because I thought it was a good fit. Uh, team was doing well. Um, you know, that's all you can ask for is to play in the playoffs, which Winnipeg was was in. And um, I think I knew, knew all the coaches. I played for all the coaches, Bones in, in Dallas and, and Tampa. So um, that familiarity, I wanted to, you know, to be familiar with the coaches. So, um, and as I said, the team was doing good and it, it's a great group of guys. And, um, you know, we proved that uh, down the stretch there and made the playoffs. You know, Vlad, Drew, Drew talked about it a little bit off the top, said you're a sometimes center, sometimes winger. Do you have a preference? I know sometimes guys don't care, but do you have a preference where you play uh, positionally? Um, honestly, no. Um, I came in the league as a centerman, but um, when I got traded to, to the Rangers, I kind of had my, you know, troubles and had to kind of move to the wing and learn learn that game. Um, but overall, it doesn't really matter where, where I play. Um Wherever the coaches see me, I'll I'll gladly fill in and and do my best at that position. Vlad Nemesnikov is our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Vlad, you talk about you know the importance of familiarity with Rick Bonus and some of the coaching staff. You know, is that sort of a, maybe an under an underrated factor in a player's decision making? You know, knowing what sort of situation they're setting foot in, knowing the coaching staff, knowing you know what what's expected of them, is that maybe more of a factor than people uh, really put an emphasis on? Uh, I think so. For me personally, it was a big factor. Um, as I said, I played for, for those guys before and they know what player I am and, you know, what situations I can, I can help them in. And um, I think that's, that's the key there. And as I said, it's, it's I think it's very important for, for me personally. And and folks talk about developing chemistry. A lot of was made of your chemistry with Nikolai Ehlers. What what can you say about playing with a player that dynamic? Sometimes folks can describe him as a little difficult to play with because he isn't expected. He doesn't kind of run that north south game. But what did you find playing with him? I think he's extremely you know smart. His hockey IQ is you know at the very highest level, and uh, he skates, shoots. For me, that's that's the perfect player to play with. I mean, I can kind of be more responsible, sit back, cover for for guys like that, and. Um, chemistry sometimes clicks, sometimes it doesn't, you know, and when, from that first game, when they put us together, it kind of just clicked and, and we took off. So, um, yeah, it's been uh, really fun playing with them. It's the Jets, obviously, Vlad, a uh, team in flux this offseason. Some people have departed. Some people have come into the, into the lineup. You know, how does that sort of, you know, how do you navigate changes when it, when a, when a team is, is maybe turning over some of their key players, bringing in new bodies? I mean, there's going to be some new names you got to meet again this, uh, when training camp begins in September. You know, is that exciting to just maybe see a, a, a changing of the guard, so to speak, uh, on a team like the Jets and playing a key role in, in being one of those sort of more, you know, a new face, although you're already been here, of course, but you're now hopefully going to be here for the entirety of the next couple seasons. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's always, uh, you know, fun meeting the, the new guys on the team. So, I mean, obviously you're familiar with them playing against them, but, uh, you know, from what I heard, they're great guys and um, hopefully they can can help the team. And, um, you know, from playing against them, it's it's been, you know, they're two-way players, all of them, and uh, great defensively and can chip in offensively. So I think that's a, that's a great addition to the team and um, hopefully we can uh, gel together and, and do good.
you you talk about them being two-way players and defensively responsible and really the the defensive responsibility side of the game here in Winnipeg has been a, a topic of concern for a number of years not strictly the defense but the forwards and and the defense and how everybody works together you know when you see the team sort of bringing in uh, players that have a reputation for that defensive responsibility. Do you feel as though the, that that's becoming a more po- uh, a bigger point of emphasis heading into next year? That you know it is the two hundred foot game, as the cliche goes, and you need to be responsible in your own end before you can look to make offense in the in the opponent's end. Yeah, I think if you look uh, around the league, you know the last couple of years, I think it's the league's kind of going toward that way, that more defensive hockey that wins you games and. Um, it's not as high scoring anymore. And I think in playoffs, especially that's, that's the most important part. That's whoever plays the best, best defense wins pretty much. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure these guys, uh, will definitely help with that. And, and it's exciting to see for sure. Is that, is that something you're paying attention to as a, you know, as a member of this Jets team for the next two seasons, do you pay attention to what's happening with the team or is it kind of outside noise or does the team discuss that as a, as a group? I know there's obviously group chats that go on. Uh, what, how do you kind of approach what's happening with the team when you're not in the season? Um, sometimes you see it online on, on Instagram, like who signs and whatnot, but for the most part in the summer, I try to stay away from all that stuff. Obviously during free agency, you're looking out at all the who's signing where, but other than that, I try to, you know, get away from that and just enjoy the summer. Vlad Nemesnikov, our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, talking to the Winnipeg Jets forward. He signed a two-year contract extension with the Winnipeg Jets on July the 1st. Vlad, the playoff series against the Vegas Golden Knights obviously didn't go the way uh, you wanted it to go, the franchise wanted it to go, the fan base wanted it to go. You know, do you ever sit back? and say, you know, if we hadn't had the litany of injuries that the team suffered during that playoff series, things could have been different? Or do you feel, given that Vegas uh, won, ended up winning the Cup, that there was, you know, a a, you know, a reasonable mar- margin between the Jets and the Golden Knights in that series? I don't think there was that big of a difference, to be honest. I mean, the first four games that we were right there, you know, it's hockey, and so sometimes things don't go your way and another team just kind of takes off. But other than that last game, I thought we were, we were in it and um, we were right there with, with, with the Knights. So um, it's, it sucks to know them going all the way and seeing them win, but you kind of have to move past that now and then focus on the new season and, and what we can uh, do better this year. Vlad, what, what is your routine for, for the postseason once once that is? So, for example, when you guys lost in, against the Vegas series, what do you watch the playoffs much or do you just try and get away from hockey a little bit and then kind of tune back in maybe, you know, at the conference finals or the Stanley Cup finals? Um, I did watch the finals a little bit, but other than that, I didn't really um, watch too much of it. I mean, you're upset, you're you're angry, and you kind of want to get away from, from hockey for a little bit. But, yeah, the, the, the finals I did watch a little bit. When we were trying to set up this interview, Vlad, I was working with Scott Brown, of course, of the Jets uh, Director of Communications, uh, and he was saying that, you know, in the mornings you're not available because you're on the ice and you're training and everything else, and the mornings in, in my world are like three or four hours long, so maybe take our audience through sort of what an average off-season training session looks like for you. Uh, keep in mind, usually my training sessions last a solid 15 minutes before I'm back on the couch with a bag of chips. Yeah, it's you wake up. Uh, I'm, I'm at the gym at nine, um, 30 minute stretch, warm up, and then hour, hour and a half workout. So you're, you're there for about 
two, two and a half hours sometimes. And then, um, you know, I'm lucky my, my ice sessions are right across the street. So kind of run over there and you're on the ice for another hour, hour and a half. And that's pretty much your day. Then get home, eat, sleep. Like we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Are you on the ice with other players or are you just uh, one-on-one with a trainer when you're, when you're on your on ice sessions? Uh, some days or some days it's uh one-on-one. Some days it's with, uh, with the guys that work out at my gym. There's Cam Fowler, uh, Max Jones, Jordan Oysterly, um, Alex DeBrincat. There's a bunch of, you know, local guys that are in the league. So it's uh, pretty, pretty easy to find ice here. I hope you guys are making Alex buy a little bit after you sign up the contract. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Vlad, is, is there an excitement sense of excitement maybe with this group now you've turned the page playoffs are well behind you now and, and you get, you know, obviously your summer training is starting to ramp up across the league. So there's that sense of optimism. Now every team is optimistic. A lot of teams think that they can take that next step, but there have been a lot of changes here in Winnipeg and it looks like there's going to be some familiarity. Mark Scheifele looks like he's going to be sticking around. Connor Hellebuck the same. So if it is that same group with these additions, is there a sense of optimism with the team as to what kind of damage you guys can do next season? Yeah, definitely. Now it's, you know, fresh start for, for everyone. So um, yeah, a lot of guys are staying and we got a lot of new guys. So um, it's going to, you know, maybe take a little bit of time for everyone to gel, but at the end of the day, everyone's excited. And, um, you know, last year you saw how much success Winnipeg had. So, um, I think with the new, new additions where we can even do more damage. How do you build on that success? I think that was sort of part of the, uh, and you weren't here for that part necessarily, but you know, the team had that success early in the year and they were flying high and then, you know, it started to dwindle a little bit. How do you maintain sort of that same level, or at least a pretty standard level throughout the course of the year when the games get quote unquote harder and, and crunch time develops, you know, throughout the course of the 82 game season? I think you just got to stay focused throughout the whole year. I mean, sometimes you're going to have ups and downs, but that's, you know, it's a hard league to play. So um, you're obviously going to have those ups and downs, but when you do, you have to kind of, you know, climb out of those downs and, and climb up. So, um, as I said, there's a lot of new good additions. So hopefully we can, uh, quickly gel and, and, and take off from, from the first game. You've played in this league a long time. You know, a lot of these players, was there anybody when you got to Winnipeg that jumped out uh, at you in terms of a skill set and you were like, wow, when I'm actually practicing with this guy and playing with this guy, this guy's skills are kind of off the charts. I wasn't anticipating just how good they were. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of superstars on the team. I mean, you look at Kyle Connor, his shot and Mark Shrifley, his, you know, skill set and his, his vision. You look at Morrissey on D, what he can do uh, on that side of the ice and mm-hmm. you know, dance around guys. So, um, yeah, you look at their work ethic and, and it just surprises you and that's how it should be. And, um, guys look up to those guys and that's how it should be. You know, Vlad, you've spent the majority of your career, I think with the exception of, let me do some quick math, 20, 35, 44 games you've played in the Western conference, not including the playoffs. So you spent the majority of your career in the East what was the big difference you noticed if there was one when moving from a, you know, an Eastern where the majority of your games are played against the Eastern conference versus the Western conference? I think the travel, the travel was <laughs> the biggest part. It's uh, longer flights. You spend more time on the plane. So I think that's the biggest difference, but hockey wise, I think it's all teams are pretty much the same way. Now um, everyone plays, you know, that, you know, defensive style and uh, doesn't give up much. So, 
Yeah, I think the travel is the, the biggest part. And it's, I guess there's, I mean, the travel is inevitable. It's one of those things. You, can, you can't make the distance between Winnipeg and Los Angeles any shorter. But mm-hmm. do you do anything personally to try and sort of mitigate the impact of that travel or the team and the sleep science and all sort of those uh, those new approaches that are at least probably relatively new in the last decade or so? Yeah, on the plane, I usually try to sleep right when I get on it. Honestly, when I whenever we take off, I kind of just doze off. But uh, if I can't sleep, I usually read or, you know, watch TV shows or movies. Nothing really out of the ordinary. I know, Vlad, you've been a, a, in pro hockey now since you graduated from London Knights, uh, I think about 10 or 11 years already. So are you at the point in your career, like, how has already 10 or 11 years elapsed and now I'm uh, kind of at the midpoint of my career? Yeah, time flies. It's It feels like it started yesterday. I have a little brother that's uh, 19 years old. He's kind of making his way into into the pro hockey right now so i'm telling him you gotta enjoy you know every day um because it, it does fly and you know it gets up to you vlad Nemesnikov, forward for the winnipeg jets we appreciate your time thank you for joining us when do you make your way to winnipeg what's the rest of the summer sort of look like for you approaching training camp uh, i'll probably spend another month here um skating working out and then head to, to winnipeg and um i haven't really talked to any of the guys when when they usually go over there so um, I'm sure there's plenty of, plenty of ice and workouts there too. So, um, I'll figure that out. No, Vlad, just one uh, quick addition, you know, there's a lot of Russian born or, or guys who are, are, you know, there's Danny Zhilkin who was born in Russia, but grew up in Canada. Do you ever take on a lead, a bit of a leadership role with those types of guys? Because they're, they're in the organization. They're going to be playing for the Moose, Nikita Chibrikov, Danny Zhilkin, uh, Dmitry Kuzmin, who's Belarusian, but that sort of idea, these young guys, because, you know, I think too many people, and I know you basically grew up in North America, but for a lot of guys coming over here, people take for granted how difficult that transition is. Mm -hmm. Do you see that as an important thing for you to be able to take a role with these guys who, you know, language could be a bit of a barrier for them? Yeah, for sure. I've, I've went through this with, uh, you know, the Russians on Tampa, whenever they first came over, they, they couldn't speak English. They, you know, they they just don't know what what life is like here. So I'm I've been helping uh, those guys, and if if these guys need help, um, I'm here and I'll for sure help with with anything they need. So, but it's definitely it's not easy coming from another country with uh, not knowing the language and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, but I'm I'm here to help. I'm I'm happy to help with that kind of stuff. So, excellent. Vlad Nemesnikov, thank you for joining us on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Vlad, best of luck with the rest of the summer. Whatever fun stuff you have in store, and we'll see you in Winnipeg for training camp uh, in the not-so-distant future. Thanks for having me. Already. Thanks, Vlad. Thanks, Vlad. Drew's muted. He doesn't realize he's muted. I Drew's see muted. that I'm just <laughs> muted. Yeah, there you go. What I was saying is Vlad Nemesnikov from yesterday. Great to sit down with him, uh, talk about a little bit about his offseason, talk a little bit about you know his decision to enter back into uh, a contract with the Winnipeg Jets for the next couple seasons. And I was, as I was saying uh, before, when we were trying to get the interview all queued up and ready to go, you know, mm-hmm. I do think that he's He's not going to be the difference maker for the Winnipeg Jets, but he's one of those professional hockey players, very similar to Nino Niederreiter, a guy who knows you know, what needs to be done night in and night out and how the game needs to look night in and night out, uh, uh, you know, in in order to succeed. And I think the Jets needed more of those kinds of players, not guys who are necessarily uh, the elite of the elite, but guys who are just 
reliable professional hockey players and he is certainly one of those and i think he'll be a key member of the winnipeg jets for the next couple of years dave yeah for sure and I, and I do again like it's funny it's the last question i asked him about that idea of mentoring and he talked about how it's you know it can be difficult for guys and and we take it for granted right guys come over here and they play and look a guy like dimitri kuzman played in flint so for a couple of years so he's been in north america but it's still an adjustment for these guys nikita chibrikov Got to Manitoba in when did I report that Drew? Was it May? Whenever Something the Moose like were in the when the Moose were in their playoff run, he mm-hmm. was joining the team and he's now here and he'll be doing some staying over here, getting acclimatized his English. We talked to him at development camp it was a lot better already after just being in North America for a month. But again, it's still a huge adjustment for these guys. So uh, nice for to have a guy like Vladimir Mestigov who's very approachable, very nice, very easy guy to talk to. We talked to him for a few minutes before obviously getting going and and mm-hmm. yeah he's an easy easy mannered guy so uh he'll be good for the team on the ice and he'll be good for the team off the ice and i agree i think i think this team is becoming much more some of its parts i think it's really becoming a, a seattle kraken we saw the success the kraken had not necessarily with that dominant top and i think the jets have more talent than seattle but it's more just that idea of having i think you hit on the head like people are forgetting nino niederreiter Vladimir masnikov you've got alex iafalo so you've got depth mm-hmm. in this organization which you didn't have before and you're and and more importantly i think and this is going to be on rick bonus you're going to have the ability to roll the four lines and that is what's going to be incumbent on the coaching staff to have faith in his team and be able to do that but i think with the depth now you shall be able to jeff hamilton has sent me a text message apologizing from the bottom of his heart to our loyal viewing audience for not having joined us at 9 30 this morning as I am a forgiving, benevolent ruler, Jeff is going to join us after these commercial messages. So he, in person, can apologize for his malfeasance. That's actually good. He actually probably won't apologize for his malfeasance. I'm being a little bit dramatic. But Jeff Hamilton, <laughs> up next on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Bottom of the hour. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk with you on this Saturday morning. A reminder, next Saturday, the final Illegal Curve Hockey Show before we take our August hiatus. We'll be here next Saturday. Then we will return the Saturday following Labor Day. So five Saturdays without us. If you are in desperate need of us, which I totally understand, we have about 15 years worth of archives that you can feel free to go through to fill the void in your life that will be Dave M and yours truly not being around with you on a Saturday morning. But we will return shortly thereafter in September and we will bring you all the latest Winnipeg Jets talk. And of course, as Dave mentioned before, if something arises, if there's something newsworthy, if Dave M gets the boost of energy and wants to conduct a one-on-one interview as only he can you will see it on our website, illegalcurve.com. You'll also see it here on our YouTube channel. So you never know if and or when we're going to pop up in August, but we will be around. And if we're not, we'll be there in September shortly thereafter. But Drew, they do know, they will know. And that's because they've subscribed to the channel and and they've hit the like button on these videos. Please do. And more importantly, you know, you ensure that you have the post notifications on to ensure that you will be advised when new content is coming your way, including our interview with Vlad Nemesnikov, which will be separately posted uh, from the show in itself. So we'll have that up tomorrow. There you go. Speak of somebody well, who's a little bit delayed. Well. <laughs> now, I want to know, 
you slept through your alarm, like you said, which is nice enough that you set an alarm to try and join us. Yeah, what were yeah. you doing last night that was so rowdy that you uh, could had to that you managed to sleep through an alarm? That's the question people want to know. Were you out gallivanting until the wee hours? I wish I could share some epic <laughs> off off the uh, you know screen story for my inexcusable absence from the early slot, gentlemen. Uh, you know, I would argue maybe even the primetime slot, as I'm sure fans are, are drooling for the show well before the start time. But I, uh, I'm embarrassingly absent of such a story. Not only did I sleep through the alarm, Drew, I was up this morning at 6 a.m. Uh, <laughs> doing things and decided to take a but was a little bit tired and decided to take a little bit of a nap and slept through it by like. I was looking at like a 45 minute nap before I was getting up for the show. And then I, I look at my phone and you see your text message and I get this fear of God in me thinking I'm never going to be allowed to be on a legal career hockey show again <laughs> if I don't get my arse up right now and in front of a computer. But here I am, you know, done the quick, quick shower, quick hair, hairdo, ready to talk jets, ready to talk anything besides perhaps maybe my last 120 minutes. Fair enough. We can accept that. I do appreciate the fact that you woke up so early that you took a nap uh, b before 930. In the I'm morning. an early yeah. riser. I know it's wild. I'm an early riser. The there you go. Part. Well, so thank you for joining us nonetheless. And we will overlook the uh, the the error in your ways. And you're still number one in our hearts and all that jazz. Uh, obviously, Mr. Hamilton brought you on to talk about the Winnipeg Jets, even though we know you are definitely in bomber mode right now. And I have to say, I love your weekly CFL rundown column. I think it's one of the best things that the, the free press publishes on a weekly basis. I do uh, enjoy your unvarnished take about everything going on in the Canadian Football League. But from the Winnipeg Jets, that's where we're talking about this morning you know uh, a good week for the team and they get Velarde under contract they get uh Morgan Barron under contract for the next couple of years for each of those players Dave and I were discussing it earlier and we both sort of just said very logical moves all around for both player and team what's your perspective on those uh two contract signings earlier this week yeah I I, I like them I mean I think it's one of those it's two players that at different price tags are going to have impactful roles next year, or at the very least, I, I, I put these two guys as in players that need to have impactful roles next year to perhaps make up for the absence of a Pierre-Luc Dubois or, or, or more broadly speaking, two players are going to have to have increased roles because if this team's going to make the playoffs, just because everybody on the roster is going to have to have, is going to have an important role in, in, uh, in doing such a job. And so the Velarde stuff, obviously this wasn't going to get to arbitration. There's a lot of talk about, you know, two years and the, you know, I saw a lot of the, the, the chatter on online and social media and predictably it was like, Oh, this guy's in a two year bridge deal. Like, you know, this, it's just going to be another two year bridge deal or, and, and then he's gone or, or two one year deals. Like we saw with Pierre-Luc Dubois and that this guy's, you know, is he's already, he's already decided his future. Well, you know, I think there needs to be a massive, uh, you know, pull back from the panic button here. This guy has absolutely no idea what the Winnipeg Jets organization is all about. You know, if anything, all he's heard about is the same is the negative stuff that, you know, I think everybody has heard about everybody. I mean, you guys, you know, whether it's on air or off the line, how many times do you have somebody from a different market just want to ask you what's going on in Winnipeg? You know what I mean? And so imagine, imagine actually having a, imagine actually having a invested interest in the city and in the organization. And so, you know, while the two years might 
might seem and very I'm not saying very possibly, but possibly could be this good could be the end story for Vlardy in a few years. Maybe he does do this depending on what happens in the next two years. But to me, this was to get him in the door to you know get that bridge deal done, show him what you're all about, get him in the organization so you could be talking a long-term extension you know, in a year from now. And so the other part too is Velarde, if he's going to sign a long-term deal, he wants to have where his value is as high as possible. This guy's coming off a career high 41 points last year. And I believe 63 games. I mean, there's not a lot while he did take steps in his career last year, he's going to take more steps. So his value is going to be higher, assuming he can continue this upwards trajectory. So it's a win-win for both the team and Velarde, in my opinion, and that, He's under contract, you know. He's he's in on the team for at least obviously two more years at a, as a reasonable number. But next year, depending on how he does, and assuming he does well and continues to climb and gets opportunity with Winnipeg, well, you're talking a bigger contract and possibly a longer term contract. So I think that one, you know, is, is a tidy piece of business. The Morgan Barron stuff. Is it just me, or is it? Did it seem a little low? I don't disagree. Like, like, I like mean, in a, it's, it's, you look at the numbers, and I don't yeah. think he's he's warranting maybe a two and a half million dollar deal. And so maybe we're talking half a million dollars here on on a tab. But there's a lot of people I think quietly interested in Morgan Barrett around the league, and to me, uh, obviously doesn't have this doesn't have that leverage just yet in his you know his his contract situation or his mm-hmm. his status right now, but. You know, whenever I hear about trades or rumors, you know, Logan Stanley's always linked in all of them. Like, it's like, you know, he's almost like a throwaway piece in some of them. But Morgan Barron has garnered interest elsewhere just for his unique skill set. And he, he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys, I'd argue, that the Winnipeg Jets are looking for in return right now in <laughs> trades. They're not going to get, they're not going to get, you know, that high-end player for, a, a, you know, a Connor Hellebuck or that, you know, an equal player will say, and right. same story for Mark Shifley. It's just hard to find that equalness in that trade. If you're going to do a player per player, right? However, they're trying to get like a more, you know, a variation of Morgan Barron. It's not exactly the identical game of his, but the situation that he's in, in the NHL where he's done enough to suggest that he's going to do more and he's going to be an impactful guy, but he's done almost not enough to warrant that, you know, that, okay, we need this guy kind of thing. And so I think uh, it's kind of one of those guessing games that you're hoping that you're, you know, you're budgeting on him improving and Morgan Barron, while we, you know, he certainly endeared himself over the playoffs with the, with the stitches and it seems to be attached to it would probably be attached to him forever. Like a lot of the stories I read about the signing just went into detail about how he got cut. You know what I mean? Like it was like it was like that was his, you know, after you got past some of the stat lines, it's like, oh yeah, this guy also came back from, you know, getting sliced up in the playoffs. So, you know, I, I just I do think that's uh it's a great pick. It's a great uh contract for the Jets. I think it's a prove it contract for Morgan Barron. And I, you know, I think, you know, from his side, he's probably looking at it like, look, I get a lot of opportunity with the Winnipeg Jets. You know, he looks like he's solidified a spot on that third line. We'll see. Um, and if he can continue to grow, then he can see, you know, like the Brandon Tanevs, the other people have kind of walked through the Andrew Cops who have walked through that, um, you know, that, you know, that stepping stone, if you will, um, to a bigger contract and, and, you know, but in the meantime with where the jets are salary cap wise, I think, you know, the Morgan Barron, certainly that contract is, uh, works for them and, and, uh, works for what they're trying to achieve at least through the next couple of years here. 
You know, Jeff, there's uh, Andrew Ladd, there was Blake Wheeler. And the question is, who will be the next captain of the Winnipeg Jets? I know some people say it's not important. What are your thoughts? Is it important? Because, look, at the end of the, the, the season last year in the media availabilities, not one of these guys wanted to say it wasn't Blake Wheeler, even though he didn't wear the C. Well, yeah. he's no longer on the team. There is an opportunity for someone to wear a C. So do you think, A, it's super important? Do you think it's something that gets done before – uh, the season begins. And, and and again, I'm still on the Josh Morrissey train and he signed the longest Adam Lowry has less term than Josh Morrissey. And I think Josh Morrissey is, you know, that guy who could, who's much, he's the most measured guy on the team. Probably the most well-spoken Lowry is very close along those lines, but who is your, in your mind, is it something that's important? Do you think it's something that's done before training camp or at training camp? And, and if you had to pick, who do you think is going to be wearing it ultimately? You know, I do think it, Hmm. I do think as a general rule, it's not necessarily important. I do think it's important for the Winnipeg Jets to just have an established leader, leadership structure. I mean, I, I, would I be surprised if they go into camp next year without a letter? Like, would they would they do something like they did with Blake Wheeler? Would they have this announcement um, and, you know, announce the the – the, the captain of the team ahead of training camp or maybe get some buzz going in the summer or what, you know, over here, that would have to be over the next, what guys, six weeks or so. Like mm -hmm, summer's yeah. coming to a close. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> Don't mention that part. Yeah, I know it's brutal. Um, I think I, I do. I would, again, I wouldn't be surprised if they started training camp without one and then ended training camp. Like, I don't think, you know, I could be very much wrong here. I, I don't think they're going to do that formal announcement thing. I think it's going to get back into you know, the swing of things and then maybe announce one out of camp. I, I don't, I'm sure Rick bonus has an idea over his last full season with the team, who he believes uh, should be the captain of this team. Uh, how much that, if any might've changed in the exit interviews, because I'll be honest with you guys, this, this, you know, on outside of actually mentioning Blake Wheeler as the, as the, you know, undisputed captain if you will or this you know there's still the captain no regardless of what happened you know the previous offseason I thought it was interesting to see not one of those guys and Adam Lowry and Josh Morrissey stick up for their coach uh you know say you know even just show some level of accountability you didn't have to agree with his mess with how he delivered his message but the fact that neither of those guys who I think are the two front runners for the captain you know, acknowledge that while he, while they could have, you know, he could have handled it or said it or delivered it better. The message was still true. You know what I mean? There was still that lack of accountability that I think, you know, you need from a, you know, or accountability level of accountability you need from a captain that wasn't there during those interviews. And, and so, you know, I think it is between those two. I still think it's Adam Lowry. I was advocating him last year. I just think he's, universally liked in the locker room. That's not to say Josh Morrissey isn't. Of course, Josh Morrissey is universally liked. I think Adam Lowry has the ability to handle the responsibilities of a captain outside of the locker room stuff, probably better than Josh Morrissey. And I say that because when things start, you know, when, when things started to go badly, you know, around the, around the all-star game, I mean, everyone were, you know, kind of considered Josh Morrissey as the captain on the Winnipeg Jets. And I say that from a media standpoint, because if things didn't go down, the way the Jets wanted them to go down in a game, Josh Morrissey would be called on, and you could see that that stuff wore on him. It I, wore I think, on him over time, and so he needed a break. He needed a break. He got a week break from the media before 
he went to the all-star game to get a whole bunch more media. And so mm-hmm. I'm not saying that being in front of the media and, and all those things is the de facto number one determination of who should be a captain. But I do think that plays a role in it. And I do think that Adam Lowry has the better ability to handle that and the burden. And I'll emphasize burden, uh, you know, as that part of the job, because we saw it with Blake Wheeler and that became an issue. You know what I mean? That became an issue over time, and it certainly was a burden. I wouldn't want to add a burden to Morrissey's game in a way that I think would affect his game than I would with Adam Lowry, who I believe can handle both of those roles. You know, I agree wholeheartedly with that last sort of comment you were making there, Jeff. Adam Lowry's not counted on to put the puck in the net. Any offense you're getting from Adam Lowry is a bonus. So when the offense for him dries up as it does in, you know, at different times in every year that he more or less plays, you know, it it won't be as the the fact that he's also the captain won't be as detrimental as all of a sudden if Josh Morrissey's offense dries up or if his play takes a significant step back, it's almost like the jets rely more on Morrissey on the ice night in and night out than they do Lowry night in and night out. And that's not diminishing the, the, the impact that Lowry has on this team. But, mm-hmm. you know, if Adam Lowry goes five games without a goal, nobody's really going to bat an eye about it. If Josh Morrissey goes, you know, while holding on to the captaincy responsibilities is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. If Morrissey all of a sudden goes into an offensive slump or a defensive slump while holding on to the offense, the, the captaincy responsibilities, all of a sudden is the captaincy too big for Josh Morrissey? That can be sort of the 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 a narrative that might develop, whereas I don't think that same narrative would develop with uh, with Lowry, to your point. Yeah, and I think that just speaks to the the, the burden part, right? Where it, it, like it could be going swimmingly like it was the first half of the season with the Winnipeg Jets because everybody wanted to talk because everybody talked about the bonus effect and how the leadership group was fixed and how great the team was. Pledge, the pledge. Team, the pledge and all yeah. these things. Where's right? the pledge Every, now? You it's still there. Uh, For the record, was, the pledge is still in the locker room. I can tell yeah. I can attest at development camp. We saw the pledge still. I don't have any physical proof, but there was lineups to talk to the media. I, I swear to God, you know, people just wanted to wanted to see what we were up to. There was almost there was even a question the other way. Um, they were asking us to join their fantasy football yeah, leagues. Yeah, exactly. They, they were looking they for our advice. Yeah, yeah. yeah they were reading. Um, no, but but yeah, that that's part of it, right? Because when things don't go well here, we've seen the difficulties that exist within the locker room. Right? Winning is cures everything. Well, losing mm-hmm. for this team certainly hurts a lot. And so I do think there's a burden there. I, I, I do think of, of the relationships inside the locker room. Again, I'm not trying to stress or suggest that Josh Morrissey doesn't have that allegiance, but Adam Lowry, like in, in scanning players during this process, it was always things I would ask players kind of after an individual uh, interview, you know, just, I'm not going to quote you just looking like who you think should be the captain of this team next year, as we were going, you know, getting later in the year. And as, kind of the question became a little bit more prominent as the year went on. And I'm telling you right now, I got everything from it would be an absolute shock if Adam Lowry didn't get captain to this guy needs to get it. It's just the dynamic in the locker room. He's universally respected. And there's another aspect of it. And again, it's not an end-all be-all, but it's these little pieces that add up to the argument for Adam Lowry is that who's the guy who sticks up for the teammates on the ice every every night? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you look at the impact that Josh Morrissey have. No one's going to make an argument that, Adam Lowry has a bigger impact to the success when it comes to wins and losses for the Winnipeg Jets than Josh Morrissey. You could make the argument Josh Morrissey, maybe Connor Hellebuck, 
Mark Shifley when he's taking over a game. Same thing for Pierre Dubois. You make those arguments for those players. Josh, uh, Adam Lowry doesn't have that pedigree, but what he does have is that when when you know shit hits the fan at the end of a game or in the middle of a game or if someone needs to be st- you know stood up for you, there you have number seventeen coming to their rescue, fighting, getting that you know getting that bench going, you know playing a little extra taller some of the smaller guys because Adam you know they know Adam Lowry has their back, and so that's where I kind of lean on. 17 getting it over 44 but at the same time here we are could be a really good opportunity for him to to you know i think i I think it's also if it's josh morrissey i don't think it's a big panic either so i think it's a win-win good choice either way jeff hamilton our guest saturday morning the illegal curve hockey show rolls on you know jeff we are spending a lot of today talking about sort of the, the look of this team for next year and the uh defensively responsible players particularly the forward group that has been brought in this off season do you think that this team as projected for next season is more of a rick bonus uh, team, the, the personnel are more suited for a Rick bonus style than the players they had last year necessarily. It seems like defensive responsibility among the forwards has been a priority for the Jets this offseason. Yeah, I think so. I, I You know, Rick bonus certainly would have a lot of say in, in you know, he wouldn't have final say, but he could have certainly, a, a, you know, enough say in the players that they brought in, whether that was through trade or, or whatever, or keeping players or, or those kind of decisions. I think if you looked at last year, you could probably make an argument that, you know, the Jets played better when their stars were out and that, you know, they played more defensively responsible or they played under at least the mentality that they didn't have, you know, those, those goal scorers in play, guys that were going to generate heavy offense, offense, so they had to, to adjust to their to, to a different style, right? And so I do think this looks – I think this looks like a lineup when you take a look at it. It does reflect to me a more Rick Bonus-esque lineup, but I, but I also think that – I also think that it's players that are not going to get in each other's way. You know, I think there was a little bit of – like there's a lot of prove-it players on that roster that I think are going to – play out of their shoes, play committed to the game that are a little less instinctual when it comes to deterring from the game. If things get rough, I mean, that's a little, little too much psychoanalysis of this roster. We don't, we haven't even seen them play one game. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, that they could fold like a cheap tent after a tough start, who knows, but just the makeup that it looks like right now, it looks like a less, it looks less star studded if that makes sense. And by, and so I think, if you're going to share the, you know, if you're going to improve the locker room culture to continue to improve the locker room culture, do all those things. I think you want to have a little bit of an environment where it seems a bit freer, where guys are going to have a little bit, going to be leaned on to have a little bit more say, even more than last year. That is taking Blake Wheeler out of the locker room. That is, that is, you know, Pierre Dubois out of the locker room. There's more opportunity at play here. There's guys who I think want, you know, I've been hovering in that third kind of line role that are, are want to prove that they can go up and down the lineup. I think we're going to see a maybe on paper, not as good a lineup as we, as we saw last year, but I think what's going to be made up is, you know, more of a commitment to the defensive structure, but also more of an, a, uh, an identity of a team where this team needs to work hard, right? Like it's not going to be easy offense mm-hmm. next year. And I think that that's kind of where I see the makeup of this, of this team. That's where I see the difference of it. And I mean, when you're talking about defensive defensive hockey and and maybe making up for losing some goal scorers, that is kind of the Rick Bonus model, right? Like when we heard when when Rick Bonus first got hired last offseason, 
the talk was, oh my God, Kyle Connor is going to be traded. You know what I mean? They don't need <laughs> they don't need guys like that. You know what I mean? They don't they don't. That's not that's you know those guys aren't part of the Rick Bonus model. They don't need guys who can score fifty goals. They're, they need guys who can defend from the blue line backwards. Um, and so we'll see. I you know I, I do I do think this is a good team. I do think they're they're a playoff team the way they're the way they're constructed right now. I mean that, and when I say that, I'm saying with the inclusion of Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck, who seem like, at least for now, they're they're Winnipeg Jets. I do like the look of them. I think they're, I, I think we've been fooled on, on paper before, so I think there will be challenges. Obviously, like every team will have, but I do think this is a is an interesting looking team and one that I think can compete in the central division. And when you look at some of the mock drafts of some people, you got everything from the jets at first yeah. to the jets missing the playoffs. So, yeah. you know, I think there's a lot of people who are confused at what the Winnipeg jets are right now. And within good reason, because there's a lot of new pieces, there's a lot of moving pieces, but the good news is I think the attitude of the team under Rick bonus could change with this, with the roster that we're looking at now. And, and um, you know, we saw last year out in five games, we saw the year before that, didn't even make the playoffs in 10 points. So maybe this would be the start of a new model where you start bringing in guys that, I, again, I don't want to say care more than the guys that were in before, but have something to prove and therefore, you know, focus on team game and all those things become, become top of mind. Yeah. I think, I think what you're saying is it just became stale, right? And you had that same group for a long time and you've kept trying to recreate the the magic of 17, 18. Well, that was a long time ago. It's not 17, 18 anymore. And, you know, Jeff, I'm not going to, ask for your uh, for a lock pick here but if if you were putting on your prognostication hat and you were guessing and you've kind of alluded to it in your last answer a little bit but the expectation with Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck I mean it's funny because when we were doing the show Drew and I were on board we thought of the moves that were going to be made we thought Dubois was gone we thought Wheeler was most likely gone and and Drew and I were both more likely I more on board with the idea that it would be Shifley and Hellebuck starting the season with the Winnipeg Jets now that was months ago uh, a lot of folks said otherwise, and it seems like months later, and with only five weeks to go till training cap or six weeks or whatever it is, it seems likely that you know those two are going to remain on the Winnipeg Jets roster. So I guess the first question would be, do you see that happening? Do you see them sticking around? Do you see Kevin Sheveldayoff going completely wild, getting out of the cottage and coming to making a big trade, <laughs> or or do you really see the uh, do you see it, those guys sticking around? And then what happens with this team? If you have those two guys and you are in a playoff spot and you can't sign them to extensions, what the hell are you doing at the deadline? Wow, a lot of questions. A lot of questions. Um, so I, I think I think uh, you know I, my my opinion has changed over time. I mean, certainly over the last few months, uh, you know I I think there's reason to believe that Connor Hellbuck and Mark Shifley will both be on the roster for, for this season, at least to start this season. I also think there's potential for both of them to be gone. Um, really, I, what I think it comes down to, and I've said this on other shows and, and over the last few weeks, and I certainly stick to it, is that, you know, Kevin Shoveldoff isn't going to trade these two players for pennies on the dollar. He's mm-hmm. not going to – he's not going to take – because they have expiring contracts after this year, he's not just going to take um, the whatever the best deal is before a reasonable time in this summer, right? Because as, as things get closer to training camp, the idea of a trade is less likely. Like you don't usually, teams don't usually dip into deep August to trade players, you know, right before training camp. It's a bit of a too much of a, a move, right? And you've already mm-hmm. talked, chances are, unless there's been something that happened 
so crazy within the organization and usually negative that it demands or warrants a trade, you know, you just, it, you just don't do that. You already have offers. You already have, you know, what, you know, there's, you, you give teams deadlines for what their last offer can be. Right. And then you'll, you'll tell them you're going to be done negotiating. You kind of have to be hard in the sand at certain points. So I do think that those players, obviously in Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley have been, you know, have been, talked about have certainly garnered interest around the league you know probably at some point in time the jets thought they were close to making a deal with one or, or both of them um and then all of a sudden you know a trade happens and a new centerman's gone all of a sudden the, they stop picking up the phone right or 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 the jets are just like at my original point aren't going to be taking under, understanding the teams know that maybe these players aren't happy that they're probably not going to sign long-term deals um you know, maybe we can wait them out, right? Stuff like that. Like that, that that's the issue on the Jets side. And the other side is, I think with the Hellebuck in particular, is you will get more out of that trade if you can convince him to sign a long-term deal with the team. I think there's just more teams out there that are hesitant in signing that long-term deal. Like mm -hmm. who wants Connor Hellebuck for eight years, right? I mean, I don't know how many teams would want that. And that's really the you know, the benefit, I guess, of, of the Jets having that. I mean, the Jets could sign him to a, a you know smaller deal but at least have it done um and that could add to a trade but that's really the reason why you do sign in trades is to get that maximum eight year um but i just i, I think it's an interesting one I, I i i do think there's potential more potential for hellbuck to get traded um you know i i look at teams around the league and i look at new jersey you know as a team that's obviously shown some interest and in, and in hellbuck reportedly has been interested in that side i still see that as a possibility um I keep thinking that if it's not going to be a sign and trade, because that's what I, I think if it's New Jersey, it's a sign and trade. Mm -hmm. um, I keep looking at Toronto. I look over, <laughs> I keep looking over at Toronto and I keep looking at their issues with goaltenders. And while, you know, there's buzz out there and it's certainly has some truth to it that Connor Halbuck's looking for a long-term deal South of the border. He's still under contract for another season. Mm -hmm. And so would that be appealing to Toronto, who is trying to build, continue to build something there, has obviously had issues in net, has a guy in Nylander who I think if it was a trade, I would probably say Nylander doesn't come to Winnipeg. There would have to be a third team involved in this trade that Winnipeg would probably get compensated for picks of some kind, maybe some players. I don't know. It's just the way... The people I've been talking to, they said Toronto's interesting, but it would probably involve a third team. Anyways, I'm just regurgitating that. <laughs> Look now. at you stirring the pot and a little so bit. It would be a very interesting situation there. Um, but again, I think what what depending on what you can get either for Hellebuck or Mark Shifley, I think there is a feeling inside of the True North organization that we need to get this back on track. We need to get some of these good feelings back in the building. We need to get bodies back in the building. We need to build a team that is competitive, that's going to fight for a Stanley Cup because we are bleeding in the bottom line when it comes to season ticket holders, when it comes to filling our small building night in and night out. How much would a playoff run do for the city, do for the bottom line, all these things. And I think you have Mark Chipman on one side who's trying to weigh the importance of having a winner here and rejuvenating the city after some tough years among the fan base, and especially with the potential of Max Exodus this offseason, to kind of weigh the importance or the value of that, and uh, along with maybe the hockey sense of, 
hey, well, we need to, you know, we, we need to be smart about this. We don't want to have two very, probably arguably the most impactful players on our, you know, in our organization leave for nothing. That's not going to go over well. And so to answer the last part of your question, Dave, if they do pick, bring both of them back, well, now you're at a situation where if you get to the trade deadline, and this is where it gets a little bit tricky, obviously. If you get to the trade deadline, you might, be, you might be getting more during that time for a hell of a buck than you would right now. You know what I mean? There might be a mm-hmm. team when they get to the trade line, get de- trade deadline, get desperate, want to throw out their futures for their present, all these things, get crazy. There's bidding wars because all of a sudden this guy is going to be the, you know, Think about adding a Connor Hellebuck at the trade deadline if you have goaltender issues. It's just like it doesn't get much better than that. It's like adding UC Saros or, you know, whatever. It's just, you know, a guy that can take over and, and play that huge role for your team, obviously. But obviously, if you're in a playoff position, and I think it would have to be, and this is just plain hypothetical, the Jets would have to be dominating. Like, I, I mean, first or second in the central, preferably first, obviously, like showing clear signs of moving up to keep both of those guys at the deadline. If you get into a situation like we got into last trade deadline where the wheels had started to fall off, they hadn't completely fallen off, but they were starting to fall off, that's when you need to make it a smart decision, get rid of, you know, trade those guys, and then hopefully be like a Nashville, and hopefully you can hold on but achieve that last playoff spot. Because right now, unless you're unless you can see yourself as a top echelon team, and I think that would be – what you're looking at, obviously, through the first good chunk of the season to the, to the deadline. That's what the Jets would obviously be looking at and evaluating. But it would be a horror story, I think, if you got there and there was, you know, they were really, really good and you couldn't and you couldn't trade them, or they were really, really bad and you didn't trade them and you didn't get the value that many fans were hoping for and would have argued for and believed in given the full year. That would be, you know, wouldn't be as strong maybe at that point than, than, than in the summer. Last question for you, Jeff Hamilton, our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're into overtime here Saturday <laughs> morning. How concerned should I be about the Bombers' offensive line? Did you watch last game? Yes. Yeah, not, I don't think you should be concerned. I mean, I, look. You don't think bo- I should be concerned, really? I mean, that first half, they were getting pushed around pretty good. It was only yeah. the second half that they that they were able to establish the run. Yeah, you know what? I think it's one of those things that I think fans just need to come to grips with the fact that the Bombers are going to have closer games than they, you know, and no, and, no, no. and they're going to, like last year they won. If you look at the last two years, I really do think that 2021 just completely shifted the fan base's mindset, right? Sure. All they remember is at the end of 2019, the Bombers were dominant in this improbable, unbelievable, uh, you know, run to the Grey Cup where they played three road games to snap that curse. Then they were super hungry for 2020 to come back and and defend that cup. They couldn't do that because of COVID. And then 2021 hit and the Bombers made a joke of the CFL. They won by like an average margin of like 18 (laughs) points a game. And I think that set the expectation. Because then you look in last season, the, the Bombers won a lot of close games. And so this year, you know, I wouldn't say they've been close. There's certainly been two games that have been just embarrassing losses. Fans aren't used to it. But the O-line, they're getting older, sure. They still, I still think they're a dominant group. I still, you know, you, you ask 
Zach Claros and what else is he going to say? But, <laughs> you know, he wouldn't want to play behind anybody other than that group. And, you know, I think the good news is, is they have, you know, guys like Tui Eli and Liam Dobson that they're, that, that they can bring in. Right. And that they mm. can, you know, so I think there is, I think my, my, at least according to my email inbox, the concern is that there's no one in behind these guys that they're too old. I think the Bombers are doing a fine job. Um, you know, I think, you know, you have to wonder, with the outside tackles, like how long, how much longer can Stanley Bryan, Jamarcus Harder do this at this level for this long as they enter their, you know, mid thirties. Um, so there are question marks, but I would just, I would just give this group a little bit more, more leash. You know, they got a bye week now. It's a huge game coming back in week nine with BC at home. I think that's going to be a massive test. Um, you know, the Bombers are going to be pissed off about what happened in week three, obviously losing 30 to six at home so it's a it's certainly a revenge game so i think this is uh i think the future is bright with these with with this team this year it just might not be as convincing as uh as years before the real question i want to ask and then we're going to let you go you already took your morning nap Mm -hmm. will there be an afternoon nap will you do a are you a double nap guy can you pull off the double header of naps in the same day uh, I probably won't nap later today, but I probably will meditate later today just to calm my busy mind over, uh, you know, I got a lot of projects on the go. So I probably won't be out because I'm just not, I can't really nap despite the evidence, the severe evidence against <laughs> me this morning. Um, but yeah, there probably won't be more naps, but you know what? I'll probably just split the difference and go to bed early tonight. Jeff Hamilton, the hammer himself, Winnipeg Free Press. You can read all his work in the broadsheet and online at winnipegfreepress.com. Jeff, thanks for this, buddy. We'll do it again real soon. Have a great rest of the summer if we don't speak until then. My pleasure, guys. Talk soon. There thanks, Jeff. Jeff Hamilton joining us this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. OT! Unto overtime, Dave M. That's where we're at at this point in time. Well, dude, before you Before you sign off, though. Yeah. Uh, we have to wish Nate Thompson all the best in his retirement. Yes. 14 seasons. Nate Thompson played 44. If you're a numerologist, he liked wearing the number 44. He finished with 844 regular season games, 44 of which were played wearing a Winnipeg Jets jersey. So uh, Nate Thompson, all the best in retirement. And uh, I was going to read the Laurent Brassois quote. thought it was, again, if you want to listen to the interview, I've got it on the website. But uh, it's a good one from the Jets backup minder, netminder, talking about Winnipeg. To be honest, everyone gives it a bad rep, but we've had a lot of good years in Winnipeg and I resurrected my career. I feel appreciated there and I've played some good hockey there. And so I'm very excited to get back. So give it a, give it a listen. I've got it on illegalcurve.com. That's the, it's about 11 minute interview with Lauren Persuad. And if you missed any of today's interview with Vlad Nemesnikov, it'll be available in the immediate replay on the on the YouTube channel. It'll be a standalone interview tomorrow on both LegalCurve.com and on the YouTube channel. And of course, the podcast edition of the show will be available shortly after we wrap up this morning. Reminder, next Saturday, Dave M. and I are back for AMMA. It's not mixed martial arts. It's Ask Mindell and Manuk anything. That's how we wrap up the season here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. So next Saturday morning, 9 a.m., your usual allotment of Jets talk, plus contributions from you good folks 
A-M-M-A. Ask Mindell, ask Manuk, anything. That coming up next Saturday morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Big thanks to Jeff Hamilton for joining us. Big thanks to Vlad Nemesnikov joining us yesterday that we aired today. Big thanks to all of you for joining us on this Saturday morning edition of the program. And a big thanks to our sponsors who make the post-game show, the Saturday show, the website, a, a possibility, our friends at Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club, Jordan Rock, two shows tonight. He's been here all week. Yeah, the last name sounds familiar. It's a big last name in comedy. He's Chris's brother. Jordan Rock, tonight at Rumors, Linden Market Dental Center, Zappia Group Realty, Betway, Tough Duck, Boston Pizza, Seagram's, Rollies Transfer, host Drew Mindell. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you again next Saturday. Be safe this weekend. If it's Saturday, it's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show live on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms. Thanks for listening to this broadcast from Illegal Curve Hockey. For more great Illegal Curve content, subscribe to the Illegal Curve YouTube channel, follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, IllegalCurve.com.